2: Before we start our episode today, this is just a reminder, History Hack does have a Patreon account and all of your donations are gratefully appreciated. There's lots of perks on there, secret groups on Facebook, do get involved, we would love to see more of you. Enjoy the episode today. Hello and welcome to our festive edition of Down the Pub, in which i say roughly... Two people look festive in this right. club right now. Um, one of them has just plonked a hat on her head and some funky earrings. Hello, Charlie.
3: Hey, look! Merry Christmas, Mother Lovers. How are we doing? <laughs>
2: <laughs> you massive fraud! You. How are you?
3: I'm good. Yeah, I've just been yeah. having a bit of a bit of a mad week. Well, no, you're not
2: obsessing about jaffa cakes or something.
3: <laughs> no, I'm, I'm. I'm having to learn how to use Instagram Reels and. Um, I'm going to be 40 next year. So TikTok has very much passed me by. It's a learning curve.
2: Oh, lovely. Uh, you will not be surprised to learn that Beth has gone all out, tightened herself <laughs> up, the cleavage is out. Um, I foresee having to send her private messages after a certain amount of wine goes down her neck about stuff coming out of the top um, because that's how she rolls. Beth, how are you?
4: I'm all right there. I like these of tarting. I'm going with that one. Tarting yeah. myself up. I like that a lot.
2: Um, How long did you spend getting ready for tonight? Uh, I'm not going to comment on
5: that.
2: <laughs> <laughs> she's actually drinking wine out of a Tinkerbell glass as well.
4: Yeah. Well, it has to make it only comes out on special occasions, and this is a special occasion.
2: <laughs> Brilliant. Uh, we've got Heather with us, who has a somewhat Christmassy jumper on.
5: About as Christmassy as we get here. <laughs>
2: <laughs> you say that. But have you not had your Christmas tree up for the last eleven months? Because you like the way it looks.
5: Three years, maybe.
2: <laughs> Brilliant. We're going to leave Heather to it because she's still writing her pitch. Uh, we have a lesser spotted Andrew Dorman in the house tonight, and he's had a haircut. He doesn't look like Frodo O'Baggins today. You're right, Dorman.
6: What object to the lesser spotted? Is that a bizarre COVID symptom I haven't come across? <laughs>
2: You'd know in Ireland. How is COVID in Ireland? Flopped. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. Okay, uh, Chris. Chris is wearing a tie. Is that? I'm guessing that's because you've just got in from work.
7: Yeah. Yeah. I've literally just managed to come in and lay on the sofa. Uh, I will get changed at some point into something less like this. Uh,
2: like a mankini. Is that
7: a threat or a promise? Uh, no. <laughs> uh, yeah. No. No. Mankini for two reasons. One, I haven't got enough booze in the house, and two, I'm not entirely certain where it is, but I'm sure I'll find it.
2: Excellent. We also have with us, coming live from Spain, where she spent most of the day watching her car die.
8: Yeah, it was quite sad. It, um, there was a lot of water and steam involved, um, but luckily it broke down in a free car parking space, which are rare in Gibraltar, possibly rarer than a lesser spotted doorman. Yeah, great. but they're even rarer now yours
2: is going to be hogging one till it moves again <laughs>
8: yeah, the next three months um no so yeah that was quite sad um it's been quite a stressful week i've been working quite a lot um but i'm i'm on the end right now so yeah looking forward to christmas brilliant
2: uh, we've got Johnny Dyer in the house. Johnny, as I understand it, you're you're just here for the Secret Santa and the Magnums and
0: Magnums of beer and loitering and stuff like that. And I just I just like to correct the record about people making an effort for Christmas and all the rest of it. I'm wearing one of my newer white t-shirts and I have shaved
2: within the last forty-eight hours. Excellent by COVID standards. That's proper tart in your yourself. Yeah, I
9: absolutely. mean, on, on the one hand, it's good it's good that he's back, but basically he's been missing for an entire year. And he's only shown up tonight because there's something shiny on offer. He's basically the David May of History Hack. <laughs>
10: <laughs> he, I'll, I'll take that.
2: He is, but we have a worse culprit for that on History Hack, and that's a leader, and she'll be here soon. So uh, we could do <laughs> it as well. Uh, we have Lockie in the house. His car has also died. This is a theme. So there's now three of us. except Lockie's car appears to be working again.
11: Yeah, mine's resurrected. Um... Yeah, no, it's uh, the, the the electrics dying on a modern car is a really weird and funny thing. Um, but yeah, it's,
2: uh, so, it's so you back can't alive. find a fat middle-aged man to come along and fix it, can you? Because it requires a computer and all that kind of stuff now instead of just a mechanic.
11: Yeah, except the um, the, the chap who fixed it's fairly elderly. Uh, he's an old boy that my dad used to play rugby with. So uh, yeah, he's. Um, He's, he's learnt some new tricks, this old dog, David, at Summersham. Thank you very much. Props to you. He's listening to this. He's never heard of a podcast. He's from <laughs> rural Suffolk.
2: <laughs> I hate you. My am still lying outside my flat, just mocking me with his uselessness. Uh, we've got two judges in the house tonight. We've got, oh, sorry, I forgot James. James, hello. You're all right. You appear to be playing World of Warcraft or something, so i am <laughs> you to the end, but you are actually now paying attention. Uh, how is teaching life?
12: uh today's meant to be an easy week um no teaching just work but it's work i could have done at home so i was like ah okay
2: <laughs> welcome to the rat race my friend we've got two judges with us today uh we've got homes you're all right homes
9: yeah i'm all good i just had my booster job oh
2: you're so not Flat out and dying, so that's a good sign, right? Well,
9: I had a couple of but I'm not, I'm not, I'm not boozing tonight, which is a bit unfortunate. But
2: yeah, oh shame, Johnny. Johnny looks really sad for you as he glugs more beer. <laughs> <than there. laughs> Johnny, it makes me laugh about Johnny being in his t-shirt because Johnny, uh, we went to James Holland's book thingy ex- exhibition thing at NAM earlier in the week, didn't we? Uh, Did and you had to put a suit on.
0: And suit, to- that, I've not worn a suit for. Probably a decade, and I've now worn one three times in a fortnight. It's ridiculous.
2: Hilarious was the panic on you, Boney, uh, Mark, <laughs> anyone else who came, about whether or not their suits would fit.
0: I, I No, I had to buy a new one because the old ones don't.
5: <laughs> to <They're> put <putting laughs> not two final
0: points on it. It's, I, now have, I now have suits that, that, that fit me between a range of about 12 and 15 stone. Okay. Um, I'll leave you to guess which which end of that spectrum I am at the moment.
2: <laughs> you want to intervene if you need to buy another one anytime soon?
0: <laughs> Might be necessary.
2: Okay, <laughs> and we have a guest judge tonight. We have the absolutely wonderful, lovely, witty, funny, uh, more successful than any of us as far as being a historian goes. He's looking around like he doesn't know what we're talking about, but he actually gets paid to do history stuff unlike the rest of us. Joshua Levine, how are you?
10: I'm well. I'm very well. Very nice. I'm trying to look round the room, see if there's anything christmasy and the closest i can find is this this is a voodoo doll um, so this will have to do um, as a sort of christmas ornament brilliant uh, yeah. also you... my car my car hasn't died but today started to smell of petrol inside and uh, and uh, making a funny noise, and smell, really strong smell of petrol so i think it's very very close
6: oh, i and just clarify contained... that's not my people trying to secure me a win <laughs> <laughs>
2: Oh, Josh, do your suits fit?
6: I go up and down in weight.
10: So I, I, have, I, I got quite big a couple of years ago and I asked someone to take them out. And then I lost weight again and I haven't put them back in. So they sort of hang off me at the moment. So I'm, but at I'm, least
9: you've got room in yours to have it taken out. I think I'd even struggle with that. They'd have to.
10: It was quite hard to have it taken out, though. I mean, they were really sort of picking away to someone I know was just picking away to.
2: Right. Okay. Uh, we are gonna. So, Irish Post has failed us. Royal Mail has failed us at Lockie's house. Uh, whatever godforsaken, half-assed Gibraltar postal service there is has just laughed in our faces. As far as Kate's concerned, I have
8: to. I think I have to defend Gibraltar on this one and say
2: that it's the um, Spanish postal service. It, yeah, it doesn't seem like expedited shipping is their thing
8: expedited nothing is fencing, thing. happens quickly, manana, everything is manana, or like another day in the future.
2: <laughs> okay, so some of us have got secret Santa presents to open, um, who should we go to first? We're going to debate today the greatest story, Christmas story in history, which is my worst nightmare, basically, um because it means I've got to listen to crisp shit for the next two hours. That's right, who can can I trust to get us started? Why, Dorman, why are you shaking your head like that? Are you not ready either?
6: Let's just say there's a lot of tabs open in the background.
2: Okay, all right. Uh, I'm <laughs> going. We need to go with someone who's going to own this Christmas shit and actually be excited about it. Look at Beth; she's got. Go on, do it. She's got her hand up. She's excited. I'm, saying, uh, I'm the only one who's prepared, it seems. Looking, I on, think you are because right? my pitch lasts about 0.5 of a second. Um, <laughs> but yeah, Dorman says also um, better do Beth while she's sober because by as a, a judge, coach,
10: can I just so I, I take notes as this goes along and I. Sort of...
2: yeah and then you get to quiz her at the end um poor Beth is very excited but I, Can I say
10: also I'm excited because I'm Jewish as you often point out um, <laughs> and, um, I because Christmas isn't shouldn't be my thing but I
2: love it well you've got and a it, kid now you have to love it
10: well not I'm a jew I don't have to love it but I, I as I'm kind of outside I look in on it and absolutely... Because it's all almost a bit... naughty. We have a tree and we've always had a tree and we've always really celebrated it, but it feels a bit
4: naughty.
2: So <laughs> well, I'm very on to this. Well, get ready to be naughty, Joshua. Mm-hmm. Beth, take it mm-hmm. away.
4: Well, which one are we doing first?
2: Are we doing presents or are we doing pictures first? You can open your present first if you want. Yeah. because like, You are like a massive child in a figure. Of
4: course I am. Someone has to be in this outfit so
0: i will happily have that in it it's nice to have a child in a room full of weary cynics
2: (laughs) i know (laughs) speaking of weary cynics where's zach
9: (laughs) his phd is he's not in that little parcel he's not going to jump out in a minute when gets it open surprise
2: oh and some polyester please let it be a massive dildo
4: It's a tiny <laughs> version of the rose from Beauty and the Beast, which I've got a big version of that. Alex, Alex bought me last
2: Christmas. Oh my God! You've basically got one for every room now. Your husband's going to be so pleased.
4: <laughs> oh, this one lights. <gasps> it lights up. Ooh, That's indeed. Let's see. Thank you very much, Secret Santa. Love Does you all. Double
6: the length of the curse, or
4: yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
2: I shall keep it there. Yeah, if the petals start dropping off, shit yourself.
4: <laughs> Run, hide. mean, bad's going to happen at the other end. <laughs> right, okay, so let's do my pitch now. Well, thank you very much, Secret Santa. That is very lovely. I will cherish that along with the other one I have. Thank you very much. So um, my pitch, I'm going to start with. So obviously we were talking about greatest Christmas stories, um, and I kind of had an idea. I did want to do the actual Nativity, you know, that is the original Christmas story. But then I remembered that this is a room filled with heathens and that the Nativity <laughs> would get me nowhere. Yep. Um, so, with a kind suggestion from Big Sister Charlie, um, I've changed tact a little bit um, and I'm going with the slightly less religious version of this. So, this evening I've gone with the 2009 film Nativity as the greatest Christmas story of all time. And, you know, The Christmas movie, it's a piece of work and I can hold my hand up to this as being part of this group. It's a piece of work aimed at a certain market at a certain time of year. Um, And it's no surprise, really, that I generally love my Christmas films. Um, And this one's no exception. Um, it's based around the character of Paul Maddens, who's played by Martin Freeman of Sherlock and then Hobbit fame as well. So he did quite well after this film. Um, and he plays a failed actor who's a teacher at uh, St. Bernadette's primary school in Coventry, of all places. Um, and he hates Christmas, that typical cliche. He hates it because his girlfriend broke up with him at that time of year and um, his previous attempt at directing a nativity. Um, was slated by a local critic who was played by Alan Carr, who pops up throughout the film, although I don't know of any other primary schools that get their uh, nativities um, looked at by local film critics, but hey-ho. Um, and Paul's got this, this rival that he went to drama school with and is known for a long time called Gordon Shakespeare, um, which is not very clever considering it's set in Warwickshire. Um, and he runs the nativity at a local private school called Oakmore. And Paul's really fed up with Gordon persistently taking the piss out of him. So he lies to Gordon that the ex-girlfriend who left him at Christmas, Jennifer, is going to be turning Paul's nativity into a Hollywood film, even though he hasn't spoken to her in five years. And he doesn't think they all go much further. He just thinks Gordon will just, you know, be really miffed off with this and just run away. But he's overheard by his really childish, immature classroom assistant, Mr. Poppy. Um, who is basically a child in an adult's body. Another one like me. Um, and he then goes a bit like mad and all over the place and crazy, telling the children, parents and the local media that it's going to be a film and that it's going to Hollywood. Um, and needless to say, as the film carries on, the lies spiral further and further out of control and Paul can't find himself stopping it and it gets even bigger and bigger and bigger. Now, unfortunately, the children are not as talented as their Oakmore counterparts. And he, Paul has is really really um he's not happy with these doesn't think they're going to get anywhere there's no com- you've got no confidence in their abilities basically his classroom assistant mr poppy tries to help him and gets the class to try and create an energetic interesting nativity which showcases all of the children's unique but often very strange talents um it's very x factor like throughout the film like they get the kids to audition for all the roles um mr poppy refers to one of the boys who's auditioning for a role as eye candy for the girls. And have you seen some of the looks he gets on the playground to which Paul replies, he's 11 years old. He doesn't get any looks. And it's becoming, this lie is just getting so far ahead and he just can't stop it. So he actually tries to make it happen. He goes to America. He takes, he basically kidnaps two of the kids, takes them to Hollywood. Um, But it turns out that she's not the Hollywood producer that he thought she was. She's a secretary to one of the producers and they return home quite disappointed. The media is picking up pace and with off, you know, cameras being set up and the mayor of Coventry allows the play to be performed in the ruins of Coventry Cathedral, but the head teacher, Mrs. Bevans, discovers that the Hollywood story was a complete lie. She cancels the play, basically tells Paul to look for another job and fires Mr. Poppy in the process. Um, Paul does his classic snapping. He snaps at Mr. Poppy about everything going wrong. But then when he's faced with his disappointed class, a sea of disappointed faces of small children, he decides that the show simply must go on. Um, The play is then performed at the Coventry Cathedral to an audience of parents and family, friends and so on. And it's, it's actually surprisingly good. And everyone is really shocked that it actually is as good as it is. Halfway through, Gordon, the uh, the rival, the counterpart from the posh school, uh, climbs up on stage, tells everyone no one from Hollywood's coming in. This entire story was a lie. Everything's about to fall apart. And then suddenly a helicopter comes across over the cathedral, shines a light on the cathedral. And it's actually the ex-girlfriend Jennifer with a Hollywood producer. They come and watch the play. Everyone's having a good time. They're all singing and dancing on the stage. Mr. Poppy gets up and the head teacher and the mayor and the, Posh critic Alan Carr, everyone gets up having a great time um, celebrating the children's success. And as the film closes, Paul and Jennifer are then shown decorating his house together for Christmas, reunited at last. Now, it is one of, it is a kids' film, um, but it can be equally enjoyed by any adults that watch it. Um, And that's no more present than in the actual Nativity, which is at the end of the film itself. The Nativity has been designed so that. It's completely new songs. All of the kids get a chance to play Mary and Joseph at some point throughout the, the nativity. But it's the songs themselves. They've got little snippets in that you know that you think, like, hang on, these kids are like eight or nine years old. Should they be singing this really? But it's really good fun. So one of the songs is called um, Nazareth and they talk about Mary and Joseph. It's not a one night stand. Um, they talk, there's one where there's like, it's called the She's the Brightest Star and it's the song of the three wise men and it's a homage to like the nineties boy band, very reminiscent of like East 17 stay another day with the snow and the white jackets and all the wide arms and everything. Um, and it's basically a love song to the star that will lead them to the baby Jesus. And the highlight of that song is there's a rap by one of the wise men and I'm not going to rap it. Fair warning. If I was drunk, I might do, but I'm not going to rap it while it's being recorded. And it has the fantastic line right in the middle. Um, I want to squeeze her, please her, share a slice of pizza, extra spicy. Like, it's just, it's so fun. Like, all the way through, it's absolutely, it's just a load of laughs, it's a load of fun. And it's kids just really enjoying themselves and adults as well. There's also a point... Partway through the film, where you've got the angel Gabriel who is lowered down by zip wire from the 284 feet spire of the cathedral. And you've got like screams in the audience of, like, oh my God, he's going to fall. Um, and then he talks about like morning sickness. And, you know, you have it's, it's absolutely mental. And I really wish I could go back to primary school and be in a nativity just so that I could have a go at singing the song, which is sung by the star, Sparkle and Shine. That I'm sorry, is that not just my perfect? title for me sparkle and shine that is just me um so many movies of Christmas and Christmas stories as well have been excruciatingly bad if some of the shit made up by Hallmark is anything to go by this film may not be one of the classics like we're going to hear this evening I know we've got some great stories um but nativity is just simply simply put a brilliant Christmas story Um, If I had to describe it in one sentence, I would liken it to a British Christmassy version of School of Rock without the Hollywood budget. It's not perfect. The story is very predictable in places like most of these films are. But that's what makes it so good. It's quite natural, quite grounded. And yes, it's got the cliches, you know, the ex-girlfriend, they get back together at the end, everyone's happy. But who doesn't love a cliche in our heart of hearts? I know you all do, really. Most of this film was improvised with the actors just told and the kids as well, just told the bare bones of what was needed um, in the scene, meaning that it's got really sparkling comedic moments. And it's a very warm heart of a film, a sweet, it's got lots of charm and it's but it's not too sentimentally. There, I know there are some of you in this room who will be absolutely vomiting or what I'm saying, but it's not a sentimental film. Um, It helps, too, that the army of children who were all recruited in an open casting call from the Midlands are adorable and funny in equal measure, particularly Bob or Hail King Bob. Um, And the adults don't come up short either. Martin Freeman is fantastic as the grumpy Grinch-like character who finds his way towards the end of the film. And then... Um, Mark Wharton as Mr Poppy, a character who shows the child in all adults and who speaks to me on many levels um, and he almost steals the movie with how awesome he is. In summary, Nativity is a festive charmer. It's perfect for the festive season and the lead up to it. Everyone loves it when they see it. It's a heartwarming film, enjoyable for everyone and if it isn't already on your Christmas viewing list, it should be and it is The Greatest Christmas Story.
2: Um, oh. I want to applaud you, but I can't. And I'm going to say two words that I believe punches your argument in the face, and they are Alan Carr. <laughs> Nothing absolute, in it for like five minutes. Idiot in it can be regarded as a good thing. What do you think, Holmes?
9: Well, I'm interested. Interested no to way why you your mind. But is-, is anyone else doing the actual nativity?
2: No, because she. Re- no, because I was going to, and then Alex just basically. Yeah, I told her the plot was unrealistic and silly and that everyone would just laugh at her and she went off and found something else. But I
9: mean, I was thinking, you know, I was thinking when I thought you were doing that, I would think that that would win because without that, we wouldn't have any of these other things that we're doing. Whether, whether you believe, whether we believe that it actually happened or not, but its influence is undeniable. We wouldn't have no. any of the rest of this without that. Um Oh, so, we'd be doing a
11: winter solstice festival or something like that. Come on. <laughs> True, but,
9: you know, that, that's
11: I, I, I think I my,
2: my pointing out to her that Jesus' birthday was actually in April and that his name wasn't Jesus was kind of what swung. If we didn't have something
10: to look forward to in the middle of winter, which had, you know, warmth and light and laughing and songs, we'd all, we'd all kill ourselves. I mean, it's, it doesn't matter when he was born. We need it now actually I think it's a bit early I think it should actually be sort of end of January that would be that, that's the time when I want to kill myself I, I love the fact there was Coventry Cathedral Blitz Connection in there Brian Harvey well, E17 lots of things I, I like <laughs> yeah, I mean I think what, Brian Harvey who almost ran himself over do you know this story? true no, story no. <laughs> he was addicted to, to um, baked potatoes this is completely true I mean he, he claims it's true he was addicted to baked potatoes which is not some sort of drug it's baked literally baked potatoes and he was eating them in his yeah, car yeah, yeah. and he fell out of his car eating his baked potatoes and ran over himself
8: <laughs> oh I heard the version I heard was that he ate two or was it three baked potatoes and he was so full of baked potato that he fell out of his car as he tried to pull away he'd like open the door to look or something and because he such- was so full of baked potato he fell out of the car and under the wheel
10: it's a universal story. Don't you know?
2: It, I mean, that, a that's a level of potato there. eating I aspire to. I mean, that could, possibly could be the greatest Christmas story ever. If that's, you, a, that's a great a Santa Christmas. hat. When it and he,
10: and he claimed he was addicted. He literally addicted. He couldn't stop eating baked potatoes, even even while he was driving.
2: Does this not tell you why? Take that! Are still going in East Seventeen? Nobody even. Thank really you. Thank you. Yes. So but I don't think take that would fall under their own wheels of their own car on a potato coba. I have
0: yeah. no I have no
2: direct
10: no, they could don't tar them all with the same brush. Jason might. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Maybe. I have no direct skill in this game, but having sat through Nativity Three, dude where's my donkey at the cinema <laughs>
9: <laughs> But not, also I mean not, this, not, this, not for me, Clive. Not for this, me, Clive. There's, there's very few of us in here that have actually sat through proper school nativities. I mean, I you know I've done all of them. And in year four or five, they're they they're kind of it's shit, but they're cute. And the cuteness sort of compensates for the shitness, right? But then by the time they get to year six, they're all basically little arseholes. There's no cuteness. It's just shit. And then you have to sit there in a boiling hot school eating shit PTA powdered mulled wine. It's disgusting. You don't want anything to do with it. Trust me.
12: yeah but um to add to that um um basically the teachers get their own back at secondary school my form tutor is currently doing the panto and obviously it's all teachers and the kids will have to sit through the panto so the kids will have to suffer
2: (laughs) yeah but it's not suffering when you get to see your teachers dressed up like dickheads (laughs) trust me i ran the panto at my secondary school (laughs) i mean when your chemistry teacher's jumping around with a like a swimming hat on pretending to be the guy from barbie girl there's there's not really a lose in that situation as far as the is
9: that that part of a traditional pantomime the teacher dressed up as the chap from aqua
2: (laughs) it it is if i'm involved because it's how can you make them look as ridiculous as possible um but yeah it was amusing Lockie was in two pantos please tell me you were like widow twanky or whatever
11: okay so controversially in jack and the beanstalk i was not the giant um I, I was in fact a character that uh our script writer had made up the evil prime minister uh in that who was being um terribly dreadful to jack and his family um but the the following year so that was year five i think and, and in year six when we were truly shit um i was one of the ugly sisters in cinderella you were playing you were playing rugby by that stage you, you had the outfit i suppose well yeah i mean what's what's sticking a dress on for a rugby player you know <laughs>
2: I was Mary in my nativity in like year two or year three, but the boy that they made Joseph was the hideous little racist that used to follow me around school, making my life a a misery, calling the P words. So in all the photos, um, I look so, I look incensed. Mary is just, Mary's got like a resting bitch face to die for in all my (laughs) 50 pictures because I hated him that much, the idea. And I pretty much, I was young enough, young but old enough to understand what had to have happened for there to be a baby. And I was furious. I was, I I just could not put myself in the role. I couldn't do it. Uh, I I, I always wanted to be Mary. I
4: was one of, I was one of, so I've got two sisters and both of my sisters were Mary. And I was not. Oh, my. I, like, I was one out. <laughs> I was
9: perfectly cast as bashful in the set Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs once. And there is a, a photo of me that exists, which I can't share because the woman um, in it the, um, blacked up. And the, the only photo of me still next to her, which I don't remember a person of colour ever being in Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. So I don't know creatively how they got to that <laughs> point. But well, there's some serious irony in that as well
2: let's move on to who should we do next uh Johnny if you've got a present to open would you like to open your present
11: perfect oh, this,
0: this huge thing turned up
2: Ooh, Ooh. beautifully wrapped look at that and, yeah i
0: would say someone's got to a, a lot of effort as well which is, is much appreciated so right let's have a look i been very liberal with the sellotape tape
4: right give me a bastard it's not as exciting watching as the opening of the presents. Oh, no, it's not actually really doing it. this
5: is it. you
6: got to grow up sometime. Bro.
5: Never. Nonsense.
4: <laughs> I'll never grow up.
0: Uh, excellent. Keep calm and have a boob sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> exactly what a, what a chap wants. At all times of the year, let alone his birthday and Christmas. Excellent.
2: That that's, is brilliant.
0: That's going on the wall of my den. Well, I'm, I'm assuming it's it's one of the culprits in the um, in the picture, but uh, we'll we'll leave that for later.
2: <laughs> you know, do you know what's absolutely outstanding is? You know why you're so happy because your daughter's going to hate it.
0: <laughs> there is there the is that 14 year old
2: daughter who causes you so much pain and misery right now with her teenageness is going to despise that because dad is being silly in it. Yeah. Grin on his face.
0: Making an ass of himself. Nothing wrong with that. Thank you very much, Secret Santa. That's oh. absolutely chipper. Wonderful stuff.
2: I love it. Right. OK, let's move on. Shall we do. Let's do Chris next. Oh, looking cringing. Was he another one? you <laughs> writing his pitch.
7: No, I, I, I did it this morning at work. Uh, I mean, um, <laughs> on the train, <laughs> not at work. Um, uh,
2: how haven- many days left now, Chris?
7: uh seven shifts we're not counting the last one because i'm not going to be doing any work that day unless someone i work with is listening um yeah how
2: much are you giving a shit right now
7: um six but i that's because i had some important stuff to do today but tomorrow after the fire test not much (laughs) um that's why i was on the group chat all day no i wasn't i was working no it.
11: they can't fire me um (laughs) <laughs> right, so
7: I'm gonna King have to do this.
6: Last and... <laughs> right. Um, it'll, it'll take later. at
11: least a week to arrange a disciplinary, won't it? You're your that,
7: That's what I'm thinking. I mean, what's the worst that could happen? Hang on, I have to put the phone down ah.
2: Chris has now dropped his phone. Yeah,
11: when well, he said he was prepared.
2: Yeah. me two
11: hands.
9: <laughs>
10: nice. um. it's
2: like the player Witch project. <laughs> Dormant actually turned his head sideways to see it the right way up.
6: There's nothing more festive than someone working out how the toy works. <laughs> yeah. Oh shit! It needs batteries. Fuck. <laughs> All in there. Um, Ooh. Uh, so is it
11: another not-
9: Mankini. Ooh. Yeah, this one in red. A no, uh, small bottle of Dead
7: Man's greens, which I will be drinking in a minute, yeah. and.
2: Aren't Something you out up. of rum as well? That's perfect.
7: Yeah, I've only got that um, South Korean stuff. Ooh, a nice glass for it. And I've got another one. Because no, hang on, again scissors.
2: I kind of almost wish we'd left Crystal last hour. And he'd have sat there with nothing to drink, and then opened his secret cellar <laughs> at right. he end and found out he'd been sitting on a rum stash all night.
7: <laughs> one might take some time, so I'll come back to that because it's. I um, I'll come back to that one. I quote the lead protagonist of my story. Christmas is coming, but I'm not happy. I don't feel the way I'm supposed to feel. I just don't understand Christmas. I guess I like getting presents and sending Christmas cards and decorating the tree and that, but I'm still not, not happy. And um, I d- always end up feeling depressed. No, this is not the story, not the words of some embattled U-boat commander or... Um, my uh, German light cruiser captain on the far side of the world, hiding, hiding from the British. These are the words of my kindred spirit, Charlie Brown. Charlie Brown, the son of a barber, is the well uh, is the well-meaning and likable loser who is confused not only by life, his crush on the pretty little redhead girl, and the and that the cool kids still want to hang out with him, but he um and also for the cool kids who don't understand why he still plays football with Lucy, um, and his journey to understand Christmas in the 1960s Charlie Brown Christmas (laughs) because I can't think of everything else Um, and he causes confusion in his friends as well with his best friend Linus once commenting um, that Lucy is right, of all the Charlie Browns in the world you are the Charlie Browniest of them all so what has this got to do with Christmas? Well Charlie Brown is, can't find where he was in his page (laughs) Uh, da, da, da. So Charlie Brown uh, dis- discovers that he can't un- get to grips with Christmas and the vast amounts of commercialization that's going co- coming in, um, and the greed of his friends and his family, etc. Like his sister Sally dictates a li- long list of- for Santa with more and more toys. Snoopy uh, decorates his kennel with garish lights to win the uh, win the neighbourhood competition, and while I was talking to his friend Lucy, she says. I never get what I want for Christmas. I always get lots of stupid toys, a bicycle or clothes or something like that. But I never get what I really want. To which Charlie Brown asked, well, what do you want? He said, well, real estate. So he then, he, to, make, to try and cheer him up, they make him director of the school play. Um, but basically, he's just a figurehead for Lucy's demands uh, to make things more and more Christmas. And he can't get the kids to do anything Christmassy. They just want to dance on the stage. So he suggests to make it Christmassy, they should get a Christmas tree. So, and Lucy demands, go out and buy a huge pink aluminium one. But he decides the best thing for Christmas is to get a live tree. And the only one he can find is uh, basically a Christmas twig. So he brings it back and uh, everyone mocks him, tells him he's stupid. And he's forced to demand on stage, what is the real meaning of Christmas? And so he leaves and he gets to Snoopy's kennel, which has just won the neighbourhood competition. And he decorates it with a single bauble and the tree bends over and dies. And he's like, oh,
12: good grief.
7: And he storms off. His friends come around. They see the tree. They decorate it and make it more beautiful. And um, he comes back and they all celebrate Christmas. Long story short. But why should this be the best Christmas story? Well, it's actually talking through a child's eye, uh, through simplistic child's terms of how Christmas can can be and should be celebrated it's it's about how you want to celebrate it not how anyone else wants to celebrate it it has got large amounts of commercialism and there is a lot of greed and stuff but it is more about your friends and your family and they're the ones that make christmas special and not um not all the presents and stuff it is just about family and giving and whatever you want to do so and um, that's basically it
2: well done, Chris, a very famous one, uh, A Charlie Brown Christmas. Josh, have you seen this? Um, I, I have seen it, but a uh, long, long time ago. Um, I,
10: Chris, did you grow up with Charlie Brown? Because I absolutely did. With, I, with...
7: I, I did in the 90s, and then I sort of went away from it. Um, and then I watched the new Peanuts movie that oh, came right. out a few years ago. and loved it, and I've got back into it again.
10: I I just loved it. When I was a kid, I absolutely loved it. It's got the First World War in the Air connection, of course. Um yeah. Red, red baron. baron. Snoopy was a red baron. Um, and it really brings back wonderful memories for me. I mean, when I was a kid, I loved the cartoons and I loved the cartoon strips. Um so this is this is gonna be a strong contender. Holmes, do you agree? I've never seen it really. I mean, I
9: sort of remember watching when I grew up, but I wasn't all I didn't think it was all that. I struggled to understand it really compared to simplistic things like tom and jerry and the and the like but but chris what makes it the best christmas greatest christmas story ever told um hang on sorry i'm still trying to hack at the second present with
7: scissors um for me it's sort of the the simplistic of it simplicity of it and also because sometimes i really think i'm charlie brown um with Mm. the whole everything going wrong all the time and not understanding why the pool kids want to hang out with him um so Less said about the other bit. Um, but yeah, um, so that's probably why I've got a soft spot for, for Charlie Brown. And I just think, although Die Hard is clearly the greatest Christmas story of all time, um, and Empire Strikes Back, but I'm not allowed that one. So it had to be Charlie Brown.
9: Why have you allowed Empire Strikes Back? On the basis it's not actually a Christmas, there's just snow
7: in it. Well, yeah. Well, I suggested Return of the Jedi because there are trees, there's red and greens, there's someone saying ho, ho, ho. And Alex said, no, you are not doing Return of the Jedi. So... Also family arguments.
9: Yeah, there is that. I mean you could have done it, but it would probably wouldn't have won. No, I know. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I went with Charlie Brown.
10: I Had don't I think the fact that you identify with Charlie Brown and you know you see yourself as a, a sort of you know kind of Charlie Brown figure, this makes it really, you know, heartfelt. So you 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 got a good start there. Oh, thanks.
7: There are no boats, which is always good.
2: Yeah, no, Dorman no. did say um, there was this. What was it, Dorman? Your opening line for Chris's pitch? And Santa sailed into Scapa Flow. <laughs> <laughs> uh, going back to the nativity thing, Dorman, you were a giant redwood tree.
6: No, I was suggesting Lockie should be a giant redwood tree. Oh, okay. To say, tree. No, I, I was Melky. You, you.
2: you were a wise man. You yeah. were a wise cracking man.
6: No, just a wise man. I hadn't developed into my hilarity yet. Um, Although uh, looking back, I realised that Melchior, I'm pretty sure, was the one that uh, would have had to have been dressed in the same manner that Holmes's colleague was in his nativity play. So thankfully, my school didn't put me through that or else those photographs would never be allowed.
2: (laughs) That would have been quite horrific. Uh, Charlie, how are you the Sheriff of Nottingham in your nativity? Did they? Does your
3: teacher an idiot? We No, we'd moved on to Panto. I was Mary in the Nativity Bob's uh, oh. church and school. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> but no, we we did two nativities, year five and year six. And yeah, in year six, I got the plum role of the Sheriff of Nottingham and I watched Alan Rickman and I studied Alan Rickman and I did some acting, is
2: all I'll say. You threatened to cut someone's heart out with a spoon. I did.
3: Oh, I did. Brilliant. It's just so much fun. It was living the line. the line. But this is this is it. Who wants to be the goody ever? Always, so yeah, that started early.
2: Go on, do it for everyone. What the line? Oh, what? <laughs> I'm gonna
3: tear his heart out with a spoon.
2: <laughs> Brilliant. Because it would hurt more. <laughs> 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 uh, some I, I mean i i will try and do alan rickman justice later on not by doing anything. i can't I,
3: no one can do his voice it was it was iconic
2: it was indeed right let's move on let's do kate next kate your present hasn't arrived yet
8: no i'm very very firmly on the naughty list i think i'm at the top of the
2: naughty list Well, uh, it's not really you is it it's spanish postal services on the naughty list definitely
8: yeah, I know, but I just thought it could have got me in the Secret about Not being more organised. <laughs> I'm mean. See, I, I should be on the list because I'm mean. And that leads me quite well into, uh, into my pitch, actually. Um, A Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens is not your typical cheesy boy meets girl or fed up elf le- leaves the North Pole story. Originally a novella, it has since been adapted for a huge variety of mediums, including the theatre, movies, animations and TV series. But regardless of what format you consume this classic in, it is the best Christmas story ever. Because this isn't just a story, this is Christmas. It's a ghost story, a story of redemption and a history lesson all at once. It's also everything Christmas is supposed to be. Whether you're watching Michael Caine, Miss Piggy and Kermit the Frog merrily dance their way through a cheerful rendition, or Andy Serkis, Jason Fleming and Stephen Graham stumble through an increasingly dark and gritty version of the tale, A Christmas Carol gives us hope. It shows us that if a squeezing, wrenching, grasping, scraping, clutching, covetous old sinner such as Ebenezer Scrooge can find happiness at Christmas, then there's hope for us all. The Christmas Carol is a truly excellent example of Dickens' ability to paint a picture with words. I don't think there's another author quite like him. His descriptions are so wonderfully atmospheric, you can almost feel the cold emanating from the page, the fog swirling in the dark and hear Scrooge delivering the lines with such rasping maliciousness that you genuinely believe he really does hate everyone he meets. This is a story you can get lost in. It transports you to another time and place. Written in response to British social attitudes towards poverty, Dickens shows Scrooge as a paradigm for self-interest and the likely repercussions of ignoring those less fortunate for oneself, especially children. Personified by the allegorical figures of want and ignorance. These two figures, along with Tiny Tim, were created to arouse sympathy from readers. The use of such figures, along sorry, the use of such figures allowed Dickens to present his message of the need for charity, without alienating his largely middle class readership. Though anyone who doesn't feel joy when Ebenezer Scrooge wakes up on Christmas morning a changed man, should be boiled with their own pudding and buried with a steak of holly through their heart. Every time I experience this story, in any of its many forms, by the end, my heart feels warm. I feel that I should do better. It reminds me to be grateful. It makes me want to be kinder, more generous, and to have more fun. In 1874, after reading A Christmas Carol, Robert Louis Stevenson vowed to give generously to those. In 1867, an American businessman was so moved after attending a reading that he closed his factory for Christmas and sent every single employee a turkey. While in the early years of the 20th century, Maud of Wales, the Queen of Norway, sent gifts to London's unfortunate children, signed with Tiny Tim's love. The author G.K. Chesterton said of the story, whether the Christmas visions would or would not convert Scrooge, they convert us. The poet Thomas Hood wrote in his monthly magazine that if Christmas with its hospitable customs, its social and charitable observances were in danger of decay, this is the book that would give them a new lease. In early 19th century Britain, the celebration of Christmas was associated with the countryside and peasant rebels, disconnected from the increasing urbanisation and industrialisation taking place. In A Christmas Carol, Dickens showed that Christmas could be celebrated by all, even those in towns and cities, despite the increasing modernisation. The modern observance of Christmas in English-speaking countries is largely the result of a mid-Victorian revival of the holiday which in turn is largely thanks to Dickens' Christmas Carol. Mm. The story is often credited with being single-handedly responsible for the tradition of the Christmas Eve ghost story, which endures to this day, as well as many other Christmas traditions, such as the phrase Merry Christmas. Around since at least 1534, but neither common nor well used, Dickens' use of the phrase made it popular among the Victorian public. As a result of the story, the exclamation bar humbug also entered popular use, as a resort, as a retort to anything sentimental or overly festive, while the name Scrooge became used as a designation for a miser and was added to the Oxford English Dictionary as such. There are countless versions of this tale, some more true to the original film than others. It was adapted for stage almost immediately after its release. The first version for screen in 1901, the silent film Scrooge or Marley's Ghost, is now largely lost. In 1962, there was Mr. Magoo's Christmas Carol, The first animated version, which opened the door for the likes of a Muppet Christmas Carol, than you might think, and all the original story than you might think, and Disney's Mickey's Christmas Carol, which sees Scrooge McDuck take on the role of the miserly moneylender, upon whom, incidentally, he was originally based. Among the best versions are usually considered to be Alastair Sims' 1951 performance of an exquisitely bad tempered and dishevelled Scrooge a role he reprised with less success 20 years later as the voice of the old curmudgeon in a short animated version. Or the 1970 foot-stomping musical version featuring Albert Finney as literature's most famous, most infamous misanthropic miser. The beautifully shot version of The Carol from 1984 transports you back to 19th century London. It's creepy, atmospheric and was just a little bit scary as a kid. It features George C. Scott, who dominates the screen with a performance so masterful that his Scrooge is almost as memorable as Tiny Tim's parting wisdom of God bless us, everyone. Other notable names who've reprised roles in this classic include Patrick Stewart, Ian McNeese and Richard E. Grant in 99, Ross Grove Kemp in the modern retelling from 2000 and Kelsey Grammer in 2004. While the over-the-top and more grown-up than you might first think 2009 animation featured Jim Carrey, Bob Hoskins, Colin Firth and Gary Oldman, everyone's had a go at it. There is also, apparently, a blue film version, The Passion of Carol, made in 1975. I'll just leave that there. It is a direct retelling of this story but the book and subsequent film in which Dickens is coined as the man who invented Christmas retells a very similar story through Dickens' experiences while writing the book. Dickens advocated a humanitarian focus on the holiday which influenced many aspects of Christmas that are still celebrated in Western culture such as family gatherings, dancing, games and a festive generosity of spirit. Despite quite a dark beginning, actually the middle and most of the end are quite dark too, the Christmas Carol teaches us that the true meaning of Christmas is in kindness, generosity and compassion, spending time with the loved ones. It teaches us forgiveness, that everyone has a chance to become better. It's never too late. The real point of is to eat so many and drink so much sherry he'd struggle to get around the world in a year, let alone one night. It isn't a decorated tree and all the beautifully wrapped gifts underneath it. It isn't the late night shopping, the mulled wine, the turkey for weeks, or even the Brussels sprouts, which would probably become extinct if it weren't for Christmas. Christmas is the idea of giving for the sake of giving, without thought of thanks or acknowledgement. It's doing something for the benefit of others without expectation of any reward. It's kindness for kindness sake. And personally, I don't think there's enough of that in the world lately. So maybe we should all go and read or watch whichever version you choose of A Christmas Carol and be reminded of the real meaning of Christmas. And once you do, Understand the spirit of Christmas endeavor to honor Christmas in your heart and try to keep it all the
2: year
13: God bless us everyone <laughs>
2: <laughs> well done Kate uh, that sounds like a potentially winning pitch to me Holmes thanks very much
9: yeah I, I think so it's a really it's a really strong pitch hey the story's great and as you said Kate lo- there's been lots of versions I haven't seen all the ones that you've you mentioned but my, it's one of my son's favorite Christmas films, so I've seen at least three or four of them yeah, and the thing about what makes it great is that it, once you've seen one, you sort of know the story, but it doesn't make it any less compelling when you watch a, another version, so there's yeah. not many not many stories that can, can can grab your attention by that, and then in addition, there's all that imagery and that sort of late Vic, Victorian imagery of Christmas, which we still really heavily identify. we haven't really found anything to replace. That type of imagery. So it's a it's a really, really strong pitch. Interestingly enough, Dickens became interested in the plight of poor children when he was a journalist. When there was um, there was a children's home in Tooting called Peter Druitt's Establishment for Pauper Children, which is a great Victorian name for something. But he basically he got paid for every orphan that he had. Uh, but let's say he was operating on pretty high margins, and it ended up with 180 of them dying from cholera because of the lack of hygiene in the place, because he didn't want to spend any money. And when Dickens was a journalist, he wrote four campaign pieces for The Examiner in 1848, highlighting the abuses that had gone on at Peter Drew's establishment for poor children. Yeah, I just thought I'd throw that in there, because there's a big plaque on the side of uh, St. Nicholas Church in Tooting that's got um, a list of some of the names of the children that died. But that was only put up many, many years afterwards. It might have even been the 60s or the 80s or something.
8: Really, So, I mean, that's what that's what um, A Christmas Carol was. It was him speaking out uh, against the treatment of, of poor people and stuff. But he's also managed to create not only a compelling story, but a story that makes you feel kind of warm and fuzzy, which is what Christmas is about. Even though some of us are a bit cynical, I think this is quite a dark story, so we can kind of watch it without hating it for all its fuzzy, fluffy, dancing elves. But also we can kind of feel quite good. At
10: the end of it, because it's nice, it's happy ending. Uh, I'm, wrote- I'm 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 going to see the one um, that's on uh, Alexandra Palace. We're, we're going in three or four days, if Omicron, you know, um, allowing. But I mean, I you know, it's actually genuinely really exciting to me to go and see a live version of the Christmas Carol. That's how much I love it, um, and. You know, my favorite, the one with Alistair Sim is absolutely my favorite. But the Jim Carrey one, the animated one, I think is really good, really dark, really well done. And the George C. Scott, he, it's, it's too much like Patton playing Scrooge for me. Mm-hmm. I, I, it's, uh, I, I find that one difficult, but I, I'm always in tears. And I, I think that historical point is the point. He is responsible for the way we view Christmas and the way we celebrate Christmas. Well, and, god that i mean how amazing is that that we still see christmas through his eyes all these years later and once yeah. every year we want and like you know it, it's completely true that we I'll, I'll watch any version of it and it's like i'll watch sort of four in a year because they're all even though it's the same story they're all sort of imagined differently so and another thing is that um, you know, from that period, then we now also think of ghost stories as being very Christmassy. I don't yeah, know yeah, it's really a Christmas
8: really. Eve ghost story tradition, isn't exactly. it?
10: Exactly. And the yeah. and the, the BBC does these fantastic over the years, these fantastic M.R. James stories. I mean, yet they're completely Christmassy at the same time. Probably thanks to Dickens putting us in the mood for that kind of thing. And um, and also, last thing I would say is I actually did look up a few porn films that are related to Christmas because they do there are a lot of them around. Um, and I don't know if I'm sure everyone here is familiar with Winter Wonderbang, the <laughs> favourite uh, of Mark. Uh, Naughty or Nice, She's Getting It Twice. I mean, I could read it in, these out, but they're
2: all... they're all Please do. If them. this is down the pub, we would be not giving our listeners... There, there's, there's one that the um, title's in two bits. Santa's coming,
10: Santa's coming All Over Town. Um, oh, no! <laughs> I'll leave Santa's it. got stamina. Anyway, um, so I, but I think the... Um, uh, I mean, Chris, I just think it's the most amazing story. Like I say, we're going to see it on stage in three, four days. Um, that's how much I love it.
2: wrote it in six weeks as well, and his publisher told him it would be rubbish and no one would want it. Charlie and I learnt all this because uh, Charlie and I have interviewed uh, Charles Dickens' great-great-great-granddaughter for Christmas yeah. Day. I, I still have massive issues with what dick he was to his wife. <laughs> just, I thought you could be so nice to everybody else and then build a wall down the middle of the bedroom um, Do you,
9: my, my favourite Charles Dickens story that I read is that once on a summer's day his window was open so he jumped in backwards into his lounge window did the sailor's hornpipe then hopped out of his lounge window then came in for his front doors if he'd just come in and the other stuff hadn't happened Which that's quite <laughs> impressive
2: calling your wife fat though after you've impregnated her 12 times it's kind of mean yeah different yeah. times <laughs> and then running off with an 18 year old I love, also, I love, it, I
10: love okay. the fact that um, oh. the, the Cratchit's poverty is so great that they live in Camden town that, yeah. was the, um, <laughs>
2: <laughs> that was a sign of how poor they were oh well North London does suck we all know that right okay let's oh but by the way we've had someone else drop into the room fuck me Alina
13: I am here. I'm also on the phone at the same time, but Ed, hello. It wouldn't be you if you weren't. How are you? I'm good. I just came off of uh, the back seat moderating a debate uh, for the Institute. So um, I'm running just a little bit late, but it's all good. Having something no to worries. eat as well.
2: Excellent. You carry on. Uh, we'll come at you and find what I'm, I'm guessing massively depressing Christmas story you've come up with. I'm always like depressing. That. Come on, it's me. It would not be Christmas if Alina wasn't in the pub making everybody miserable. So, <laughs> so I can't wait. I can't wait to see what you found because you went looking for something uh, suitably Polish, didn't you? Um, I did. but I'm not going to spoil the surprise. No, I'm very excited to find out which lunatic side you've come down on. Go, go and finish your phone call. We'll come back to you in a bit. Right. OK, let's go to hang on. I'm sorry, I'm now looking at porn titles in the side. Is that genuine? And I thought it was just me. (laughs) Yeah. Lockie, in Diana Jones and the Temple of Poon, one of your (laughs) suggestions. (laughs) Oh my God, this is just going to get more and more grim, isn't it? (laughs) Lockie, seeing as we've come to you... You haven't got a present to open and we need to beat your secret zone senseless because why it hasn't arrived when you're in the UK, I don't know. Uh, but anyway, we will find yeah. out in due course what you had. What Christmas story are you going for?
11: Um, well, I'm actually staying in Lane and I'm looking at the Christmas truce in 1914.
2: You do know if this ends with that fecking UEFA thing, that you're not going to win because Holmes is going to get angry, right? Do you
11: know, I, I hadn't even, I'm not planning to mention that. I think the less said about it, the better. That is certainly not why this is a decent story. Um, okay, go on. Let's put it that way. Um, I mean, I, I, I would be playing match of the day the uh, the theme. But I thought Holmes would get grumpy enough with that. Um, okay, so rightly or wrongly, this is one of the more famous elements of this conflict. Uh, that that one that many of us study, look at, and, and is our lives. Uh, and this story has spun on and had stuff made up about it. So often it's practically a fairy tale now anyway. Um, but a real thing still. So some, some context. I mean, the First World War began in early August. And so had been going for just, just under half a year. Um, winter had very much set in. Uh, And on the battlefield were a a lot of tired men, essentially, um, a lot of conscripts and reservists uh, with the French and German armies. And in the British army, they were still leaning pretty heavily on uh, the remnants of the pre-war professional uh, army, which had been padded out by some uh, reservists and and augmented by Indian divisions uh, by this time as well. But, you know, as much fighting expertise as the British Empire had in the world was either on the Western Front or or on its way there. So these are hardened um, men, and not just hardened in a professional sense, but hardened by the conflict that they've been through, but depleted by heavy casualties um, as well. Christmas happened. Um, and it's a little bit tricky to pin down the events completely because there's so many different accounts. Um, there was more than one truce going on as well. I mean, this wasn't a coordinated thing. This was a, a kind of ad lib thing. Anyway, um, at a few places, soldiers from opposite sides, um, after having heard carols sung from the other side, came out of the trenches. Um, And they fraternised. They didn't shoot each other, didn't try and kill each other. They exchanged gifts, uh, you know, cigarettes and rum for schnapps, um, items of clothing and souvenirs. And at a low level, uh, there was enough will to pause the the violence temporarily. So they did. Um, Pictures were taken. Uh, Plenty of men wrote accounts of it. There's no no doubt that this definitely happened, that truces and fraternisation took place. Um, out there um, it was unofficial uh, it was disliked by some senior officers and, and actually there were some consequences for, for some of the men I think one story that I quite liked was a German soldier who uh, he came over under a, a flag of truce the following day uh, again the 26 um, he urgently needed the pointy helmet back that he'd swapped for a British cap because he was due back on parade right, <laughs> in a few hours and if he wasn't back properly attired he was in a world of shit um, so there's some you know, little bits of comedy uh, that come with it as well, but there are myths. Um, uh, quite a lot uh, of these. I mean, depending how bad you are at history, depends, I mean, there's that very famous picture of uh, soldiers heading a ball, which is from Salonika uh, in 1915. There's no Germans in the picture. It has nothing to do with the Christmas tree, so you can be quite bad at history and get enthusiastic uh, about this. The idea that um, the event was unique As in, this is the only time a truce took place. No, 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 not at all. Um, There were truces for, you know, recovering wounded or burying dead um, soldiers. I think one of my favourite kind of unofficial truces uh, that I heard about was um, uh, when uh, some German officers invited some British officers. Uh, over to um, their dugout for a drink on the 18th of June, 1915, um, which Napoleonic nerds will know, will recognise that date. It's the 100th anniversary of the Battle of Waterloo. Uh, and so you actually have Prussian army officers uh, inviting the British for a drink and saying, don't tell the French uh, we're doing this. Um, another uh, truce took place. Oh, yeah, people, some people will say that there were never any truces on Christmas ever again uh, after this. Not so. Um, someone at Fifth Army uh, HQ in 1916 um, sent a staff officer, presumably a German speaker, a Captain Blenner uh, was sent over um, on Redan Ridge uh, over to Munich Trench on the 25th of December 1916 um, to negotiate the surrender of the garrison there. They said hey, it's Christmas, fancy packing it in. And they were sold no. Um, So the Germans did not uh, jack it in from Munich Trench on on that occasion. Um, So that was disappointing. But they did get to uh, have a little snoop around uh, the trenches over there. So there were other truces um, through the war. Now, football. Um, People get excited about this, the the idea that there was a football game. You may be expecting it to say that it's bollocks. Definitely not. There's no way it could have happened. I'm actually not going to go that far. Um, There is a bit of a shortage of evidence uh, of a football game as such, but it does seem that on at least one part of the front south of the, a football appeared. And I'm a firm believer that where young men and a ball are, um, and there's a chance to feign injury as well, footballers, um, then that'll happen. now what we're not talking about is sort of eleven aside with kind of officials and England versus Germany, uh, something like that. But I reckon, you know, a couple of great coats get chucked down for goalposts and, and they take it in turn standing in goal and having the ball punted at them. Um so it's a it's a bit like watching Ipswich, I suppose. Um <laughs> Football. Another thing, people sort of suggest that it was impossible, couldn't possibly have played football in no Man's Land because of all the kind of shells turning the ground over and stuff like that. No, nah, man, this is 1914. This is not kind of the scene of, of devastation that you get in 1917 or, or 16 even, sort of later in the war. You're talking about dozens of guns with hundreds of shells, not thousands of guns with millions of shells. And so you've got kind of like isolated shell holes out there. I don't see any reason why they couldn't have. Been a kick that.
9: Also, I mean, those people who are saying that I've never seen the Stamford Bridge pitch in the
10: 1970s.
11: <laughs> but Portman Road's always been a bowling green, mate. So I don't know. <laughs> um, yeah, so I, it's it's plausible. Uh, anyway, why is the story good? Well, I, oh no, hang on. No, I will just say I kind of one of the myths about kind of the, the fighting stopping up and up and down the front. Well, just down the road from uh, where these events roughly took place and where that bloody silly memorial uh is uh, is strand cemetery uh, down at plug uh and there's jay harrington the second of the leinsters uh, who was killed on that day actually the 25th of, of december very close to where the kind of memorials uh, are so you know, it didn't stop altogether but further south there's some quite a famous a sniping duel that took place on christmas day between um uh, the men of first hertfordshire's and, and the men opposite them uh, and some deaths down there too so it didn't stop altogether. Um, but actually kind of that leads me into why it's important and, and, and why it's interesting and why it's a good story uh, as well. It does matter. You know, this is something that matters and it's, it's part of something that really matters. You know, the Great War is a big deal. And this is an accessible and relatable war way, way into proper history for the uninitiated. You don't have to be a mad keen military historian to get interested uh, in something like the, the Christmas truce. Uh, but also in getting into some of the myths. That come out and then dispelling them. There's enough here for the geeks uh, as well, for those who are really properly into it. There's enough to get stuck into with that to say. Actually, no, we can build a better picture of, of events and work our work our little grey cells uh, a little bit. But fundamentally, what have we got? It's a great story um, with you know guys taking a break uh, from this and the fact that you know pictures were taken and stories were written. Uh, there's loads of accounts uh, of it uh, tells you that it matters. Um, to the blokes who were there at least and the feeling that was that this was something remarkable uh, even then in a way that I guess when you're banging your head against the wall stopping doing that is really nice for a bit It made headlines at home it's a big deal um, so as part of a, a huge and epic conflict you've got uh, something that's different it's interesting, it's really lovely it's a hell of a story there you go
2: well done, Lockie. Um, yeah, so the, I, I only looked at it in detail. The second Royal Welsh Fusiliers and I think a football makes an appearance there as does a guy doing a runner from a German trench back to the British te- uh, trenches with a heater under his arm. Um, <laughs> he's managed to swipe. Um <clears throat> And this was after. So the officer there was a German teacher at Eton, and he had actually tried to plan it with them. Like he would said, you bring the beer, we'll come out and I'll, uh, we'll bring like plum pudding and stuff. But he was very adamant about the Germans bringing the beer. Um, okay. And he had been told to sit down and shut up by his superior officers. But he was very <laughs> pleased when um, actually they did. I think he actually... He wanders off from the, the Welsh because there's nothing fun going on and he finds the fun with the second Argyles uh, is where his took place. Uh, great story. Holmes, this is completely in your lane as well. It, it is,
9: and I, I think it's a really strong contender, really. I mean, um, I, I think obviously this, what differentiates this from the others that we've heard so far is this actually happened. This is it's, it's history. This is real life. It isn't from someone's imagination, no matter how creative. It was. I mean, I always thought it was a great story. For years, I always used to read that Malcolm Brown book at the start of December on my commute, every December. And then I haven't done that recently, of course. And then I was researching a friend of a relative, a sort of a friend of a friend's relative. And I actually came, he was in the second rural West, Queen's Royal West Surrey's, And he was actually in a Christmas truce at Festerbeer. And when when you're going through the war diaries transcribing it and you come across that for the first time, rather than just reading about it in a sort of general summary of what happened, the hairs on the back of my neck stood up. And this was quite a low-level truce. All they did there, actually, was bury the dead that were lying in no-man's land and had a bit of a chat for five minutes. There was no swapping of booze or anything like that because I think there was differences. The truce wasn't, as you said, it wasn't consistent across the entire front. I'm sure I've read, read one story of where there was two units opposite each, each other that were observing a truce and met in No Man's Land and the units next to them weren't. And one of the guys who was in No Man's Land got shot by the groups up to the left of them that weren't observing No Man's Land, which put an end to the truce immediately at that point. So it wasn't um, uniformly observed. And I don't think we needed to address the football stuff because I think you did a really good job on that. So, But yeah, a really strong one from me.
10: I, I'm interested. I'm wondering, do we have any idea? Was there a starting point for it? Or did it sort of spontaneously arise in different sections of, of the front? And was it a sort of something that, you know, suddenly people thought, well, what are we doing on Christmas Day? Or did it sort of seep out from a, a particular point? I think
11: it's organic. The fact that, you know, the, there are kind of gaps between various truces. Mm. So you've got, you've got some in the kind of, um, White sheet Messine area, and then as you say, some further down at Festiver, but sort of just south of Plugst- Plugstit, they're still fighting. Um, and around kind of there there's fighting going on down there as well. So, as you say, I, I think it's an organic thing. I don't, I don't believe it's uh, Would people any-
10: have been talking about it in the build up. You know, uh, is it something that was, or is it something that absolutely sort of struck people? Because when it's written about, it's often written about as though it's magical. Somehow, you I, think, know.
11: I think Christmas Eve, there may have been some messages exchanged saying, look, tomorrow, maybe we don't shoot at each other. Yeah,
9: but I mean, if, it, if it helps, I guess it's probably a bit of a mixture. But when I was looking into this second Royal uh, Queen's Royal West Surrey's regiment, they were involved in an attack on the 23rd or the 22nd of December. And the next day they had a truce then to bury the dead. So I don't know if in that particular instance, the seed had already been planted. You know, communication lines were open, but I don't yeah. think that was the case everywhere.
10: Yeah. And Paul McCartney had a lot to say about it.
2: <laughs> I think George Fletcher was trying to plan something about a week out I think. Um, but he was mad.
10: I think it's brilliant. I think that's really, yeah.
2: Outstanding. Chris, have you managed to get into that second present yet?
10: Yeah, yeah, it's um,
2: it's With awesome. A grin on his face. What is it?
10: Hang on, let me turn
7: the camera out because this is
2: <laughs> he has a cartoon of him and Alina that looks suspiciously Star Wars-like to me. Is that more exciting to you yeah. than the rum? You were pretty excited when you took the rum out.
7: Yeah, the rum's already gone.
2: Um... <laughs> <laughs> well done, yeah. the Secret Santa. Uh, outstanding. So, Lockie, the plot thickens. Royal Mail, I'm being told, claimed that yours was handed to residents. So I don't know if you want to scamp around and see if... Becky's put something to one side that may have come in or if there's something hiding behind a a bin somewhere.
11: Investigate,
2: investigate. Excellent. Okay, And in the meantime, let's go to Heather. You ready?
5: Ready to pop the question? Surprisingly, yes.
2: Heather, you're not feeling very Christmassy at all, are you?
5: No. Open the
2: presents. Open the presents. Let's see if this uh, makes there's,
5: it. There's two mystery packages, which I don't know if both of them are or not, but oh, goody. scummies. gummies. Ooh. Your heads.
2: Someone got the memo, a memo about you and candy, didn't they?
5: A little bit. That's the biggest lollipop I've ever seen in my life.
2: <laughs> That's what she said. And Deadpool yes. Ooh. Heather is bathing. Do you feel more Christmassy now? Yes. Excellent. Right. Hit us. Well done, Secret Santa,
5: with that. Much Secret Santa. I am wanting to eat my food now before I even talk about what I'm going to talk about. <laughs> but I won't. So. Um, my, my, uh, vote for the best Christmas story is how the Grinch stole Christmas. So it was written in by, by a man called Theodore, uh, Geisel in 1957. It was originally came out as a book, but it was adapted into a TV special in 1966 with Boris Karloff as the narrator and as the Grinch.
1: <clears throat>
5: so the Grinch is basically a grumpy fellow who lives up on Mount Crumpet and hates the Who's who live down in Whoville. The only creature who can stand being around the Grinch is his dog Max. The hoos are annoyingly cheerful creatures who love 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 Christmas time. The Grinch hates Christmas time he 's dealt with it for fifty seven years and he 's over it. so he decides he 's going to steal Christmas, thus making the who's as miserable as he is. So he um, disguises himself, and when I say disguises, I mean that very loosely as Santa Claus. And he makes Max into a very, very pathetic looking reindeer. Looks more like a unicorn than a reindeer, but we'll go with it. So the Grinch has an absolutely merry time stealing all of the the Who's Christmas trappings from Christmas trees and the trimmings of the Christmas tree to the last can of Who hash and even manages to take some ice cubes, which I think is going a teensy bit overboard, but whatever. In the midst of his epic heist of the century, he's interrupted by a little Hoovian named Cindy Lou Who, who is no more than two and honestly the most easily understood and clearly spoken two-year-old ever. So he tells her a lie to get her to go back to bed and get her a drink of water. And then he takes the rest of the Christmas presents and decorations and loads them up on a ramshackled sleigh to take them on top of Mount Crumpet to dump it. He waited eagerly to hear the despair that he hopes will rise up from the Hoos. And when he doesn't hear the, hear the despair, but a Christmas song, he's not quite sure why they're happy. So he thinks and thinks and realizes that Christmas isn't about presents, ribbons, packages, and boxes or bags. Christmas is something more. Then his heart, which was two sizes too small, grew three sizes. This change of heart, if you will, causes him to realize that should give back all the stuff that i've just stolen so he takes his sleigh and with the help of max goes back to Hooville and gets the who's all of their stuff back and then he was given the place of honor and he carved the roast beast basically i like this because it shows that christmas is more about a feeling and how 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 you spend time with the people you love and celebrate and not so much about what you can get and the greed and the commercialism. So I just, it's one of my favorites. I've watched it with my mom every year for as long as I can remember. And to me, it's just a feel good movie about a reformed asshole who makes it right in the end. Well done, Heather. Uh,
2: this, this is a massive, I, is this one, obviously we have it over here, but I think it's much bigger in america isn't it okay. yeah so holmes how are you with the grinch
9: well, i've not seen it i mean there was a recent remake as well wasn't there but i managed to avoid that as well that was i mean, I,
8: I have to admit i had no idea that there was an original i thought that the the jim i think it's jim carrey isn't it the more recent one i thought that was the grinch i didn't realize it was an original
5: yeah the christmas special is only about 45 minutes long so it's very quick um I found that it could keep my attention span when I was little and had the attention span of a net on speed. So it was one of the few things I could sit still long enough to watch. Kendra, can, can I just ask, is it, did you say, uh, cause my um,
10: internet went out, is it Dr. Seuss? The internet. Yes. And um, so, I mean, he wrote, I mean, I, cause I've got a four year old and she's got lots and lots of Dr. Seuss now and they are just, brilliant, the wordplay in them. The, um, just the, the, the drawings are so brilliantly done. They're so fun. They're so, you know, they're, they're becoming her favourite as she gets a bit older, they're becoming her favourite books. And I just think it's really interesting from the way you describe it because I've not seen it. But it's kind of again, it's it's the, it's the sort of Dickens type story. It's the it's the, you know, the miserable being uplifted and concerned for others at Christmas. And, you know, it, it's all these stories are, are, have this sort of same theme, and we just love that theme.
9: I think, though, with, with my slightly more cynical, it does sound like a sort of Dickens ripoff to me. It doesn't match identically, but, but I think the, the story in Christmas Carol, I think the reasons for his redemption... Are probably more persuasive than him hearing some Christmas songs when he's at the top of a mountain about to stump some presents. In that, presumably, he had heard these Christmas songs for the previous, what, 57 years you said it was, and just chose to ignore them.
5: I, I can see that.
9: I suppose it doesn't help that we're not familiar with it. I, I'm sure I, I probably read the Dr. Zeus book when I was little, but I don't, other than I know he's a big green chap. Like a slightly rubbish tube, across between Chewbacca and Orville, if you like. But other than that, I'm not really familiar with it.
5: Yeah, it. I guess it is way more popular in the states, and I didn't really even think about it, and I was wrong. He he's dealt with the Who's for 53 years, not 57. So sorry about that. <laughs> in the That's interest enough.
2: of being factually correct. Uh, I just, I I'd just
0: like, I just like to make a very brief point about Doctor Seuss. I do love the books, read them to Lana. Wonderful stuff. He did rhyme for flusel with snoosnul, which is cheating. Really, come on. To
5: be fair, it doesn't fucking
9: rhyme with anything else. So,
5: uh... but
2: it's
5: awesome <laughs> the meet up words, and it
2: was great, brilliant. Okay, let's move on to let's do James next. James, have you got a present there? Uh,
12: just yes, while, I do have a while present. While
2: you're getting that ready, Lockie, I've now, I've seen the delivery thing and it says it was on the 11th handed to residents, so...
9: Plot thickens.
2: Mm. And the address is correct. I just, But it's not Royal Mail, it would have been Amazon, so I don't know.
11: Oh, OK. Right, in that case, hang on.
2: <laughs> and he's <laughs> off again. In the meantime, James... What have you got?
12: Okay. Okay. I think this is someone getting revenge for last year. This gift.
2: Why? What is it? It's not another. Uh, No.
12: Actually, no. Oh, it could be. It's a mug. It's a mug which says keep calm and pretend it's on the lesson plan. So it could be just a sincere gift. But if anyone remembers, someone got a mug last year it caused a lot of laughter among us
2: yeah but that is a proper size mug isn't it
12: yeah that's true that is true oh that's a really nice one though i do i I do like it so thank you whoever got that secret santa so yeah that's really lovely um i do have a choice for tonight it is a movie and a book it was a book first But to start us off with a quote, let's see if anyone recognises it. So Beth, I'm looking at you as the Christmas aficionado and Charlie for your movies as well. At one time, most of my friends could hear the bell, but as years passed, it fell silent for all of them. Even Sarah found one Christmas that she could no longer hear its sweet sound, though I've grown old. The bell still rings for me, as it does for all those who truly believe. I'm going to let Beth or Charlie speak. What am I talking about? Oh, Beth's
2: (laughs) Beth's got a mouthful of sweets and Charlie is flummoxed.
3: I don't have a Scooby. I think I know
4: what it is. I hope I know what it is. Go on then, Beth. There's a certain animated
12: film, Mm
4: -hmm. The Polar Express.
12: Yep, The Polar Express. Oh, it's Tom Hanks. It's Tom Hanks. It is the 2004 movie, but it's Um, also the 1980s book it was based off.
2: Yeah, look, there's Charlie's not having it. It's Tom Hanks, she's not having it. Oh, no, Charlie, that's definitely
4: one to add to your list of why you shouldn't hate Tom Hanks.
12: Oh, it really is. It is a wonderful, wonderful movie. And to me, it just...
4: Dorman's
2: gone into capitals here. Dorman, you have issues with this film.
6: I'll let James do his pitch, and then we'll have a chat.
12: Okay, then. Okay. Um, Now, the basis of this film is a young boy who we never get the name for. He's quite disillusioned with Christmas. He's quite doesn't believe in Santa Claus anymore. And the one time he wakes up and he is hearing what sounds like a train going past his window. Now, he stops and he looks out. It is a train. Now, that doesn't make any sense because it's a normal street. So he wanders out there, he sees the conductor looking at him, and the conductor calls it the Polar Express, and it's saying it's going to the North Pole, and persuades him to get on board, where he's there with a lot of other children in pyjamas, a lot of them believe in Santa Claus, he's very sceptical. So he sits down, he starts go on the journey, and the train stops, and a boy doesn't get on. And he thinks, this boy looks quite poor, and he clear clear the boy changes his mind so he deliberately stops the train for the boy to get on um, who thanks him and during this journey he meets a lovely um, girl this is based in 1950s 1960s America uh, and black girl at the time and she's very much a Christmas supporting Um, she believes in everything Santa Claus she believes in the spirit of Christmas and this little boy that he managed to get on While believes in Santa Claus to an extent, he's also reluctant because Santa's never come around to his house or anything and doesn't believe in the spirit of Christmas. So they're going on this journey. And this boy, basically on this journey, he ends up starting to believe a bit more, He starts to believe in people and the true spirit of Christmas. Uh, The movie itself comes with a wonderful soundtrack of Christmas songs, which... I sing year in, year out. I am not a Grinch, as many people believe. I do love my Christmas, and I will sing my heart out to them. Um, so on his Journey, they get to the North Pole and trying to persuade the little boy they helped get on to come with them to see Santa, because Santa's going to give the first present to Christmas to one of the kids. So they're trying to persuade him. They get stuck in um, the North Pole, trying to find their way out. And this little boy just starts to believe. And it's really nice that he's trying to help someone else believe, even if he's still skeptical himself. Now, they get to the presentation. Santa arrives, but he can't see Santa Claus because he's still doesn't believe. And he can't hear the bells ringing from the sleigh, and everyone else can. And then he sees this bell and it's loose, and it flies off, and it flies near him, and he goes to the bell, and he starts shaking it. He starts saying, I believe, I believe, I believe, and lo and behold, Santa Claus walks up behind him and says, those are some very powerful words, uh, words, gives him the first gift of Christmas, and he chooses the bell. Now, on the way back home, he loses the bell because he's got a hole in his dressing gown pocket, um, but then he wakes up the next day and he finds his pockets fixed, but there's no bell. So he's like, is this all a dream? And his sister in the end finds a little present for him. And inside is the bell and inside is a note saying, better get that pocket fixed from Santa Claus. And his sister can hear the bell and he can hear the bell, but his parents can't hear the bell. And the movie does end with that quote that I said at the start, um, which is a wonderful quote. Now, the book is slightly different. The book is slightly more humble in regards. There's less story, but the ending's very similar in that the boy does believe a bit, but he only humbly asks for the bell as the first gift of Christmas instead of something quite large. And so the Obviously, there was changes from the book, but they spent years trying to make this movie. And I just think it's a wonderful story because you get a lot of scepticism from kids nowadays about Santa Claus and even just the spirit of Christmas we've lost in a way. And this story is sort of a redemption arc that, hey, the spirit of Christmas is still there. Everyone can find the spirit of Christmas in them and the beauty of the holidays as well. And yeah, it's just a movie I always go back to. As well, and I just feel it's such a great Christmas story, it's very underrated. Um, a lot of people, especially kids nowadays, quite a few actually haven't heard of the film or seen the film or even read the book, which I find criminal. Uh, most of my form today, God help them, said the greatest Christmas movie of all time is Home Alone. <laughs> so, you can imagine my reaction to that. Um, but yeah it's just such a wonderful film and just the soundtrack to go with it it just makes you feel christmasy or bubbly gets you in the christmas spirit and i feel that's partly what christmas stories should be especially the great ones there should be wonderful stories to read or watch or listen to but also get you in the christmas spirit and get people enjoying the time together so yeah the polar express
2: Thank you very much, James. Um, I fear you've been slightly outdone by Alina eating a dessert in rather a sexual way. And by <laughs> the fact that Lockie running round his house looking for his, for his Santa delivery. It's like watching the Crystal Maze, and it's like weirdly, obsessively addicted oh. watching him coming in and out of the room. Uh, Dorman, why do you have problems with the with the Polar Express?
6: Okay, this is a film in which Santa exists, correct, James? Uh yes. Santa, who is renowned for giving presents to all children.
12: Mm-hmm.
6: Why does the poor kid not get presents? Because he's poor? <laughs>
12: <laughs> it's a good question, actually. Um, he says Santa's never come around. But the right, because he's a peasant, like <laughs> Potentially, but the implication with this child is that he comes from a very rough family. Um, it's potentially a very not nice family, and you can make of that what you will. Uh, some people have made it to believe that the gifts were always sold before or that he feels that Santa never came round for whatever reason. But it's it's implied that he struggled to believe in Christmas. And that the happy ending for that little boy especially is that he does get the gift from Santa. He sees the Christmas lights on. He sees the big gift that he tried so desperately to hold on to at the North Pole Actually, there at his house and really happy. So, so the previous
6: nine years was just, you know.
12: Unfortunately, we we just don't have enough to judge what happened there. But There's I can see no where data. you're coming from with that.
4: Jane, we don't have enough to judge, James. It's fiction.
12: I know, <laughs> I know, I know, I know. But I like this story. And also we've,
9: we've got to we've got to quickly move away from this does he exist or doesn't he exist otherwise we're going to ruin Beth's christmas.
4: <laughs> <laughs> Santa always exists it's the concept of Santa he lives
12: in everyone's yeah. heart and the spirit of christmas oh. like you said oh, can not yeah. hear the bell unless you're poor
2: yeah unless <laughs> you're poor
12: also I thought it was quite you know should a,
9: a teacher be making sweeping generalizations about a boy's appearance anyway <laughs> You, you then the poor-looking one at the back. <laughs> you oh. um, I, I'm, I'm not sure about this one. I mean, I, I have seen it. And interestingly enough, for a couple of years, it was my son's favourite Christmas film. So we used to watch it every year. And then we saw the Jim Carrey animated Christmas Carol. And ever since we saw that, he's never mentioned this ever again. So I think that possibly tells us something. Maybe. Maybe I think, I think a lot of these tend to be American, which isn't, a, you know, necessarily a bad thing. But I mean, we've got this sort of prime Victorian Christmas heritage that we surely we could do some more Christmas films rather than slightly low budget, lame comedy type things.
12: Well, this was definitely not there, low budget. And I can tell you that the um, obviously we've all seen the snowman here. If you're from the UK, especially the snowman. Oh, don't
2: mention the S word in front of Beth because she still fucking cries at the end every time.
12: Right. Uh, but obviously, you know that film is based on its art style. Now, the book and um, this movie with the Polar Express is that the uh, the rights for the movie were bought way back in the 90s, and originally it wasn't going to be animated, but they felt they couldn't do it justice and they wanted to also bring the art style from the book to life in the animation. So Charlotte like... claims you're
2: making it worse. Look at her face. Oh god you don't get to do another <laughs> pitch and just segue oh. onto the snowman. So the No no I'm not about is... the snowman there. I was no, do about you wanna... the, 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 the story is, the... is that Beth had to be forcibly removed from a live action version of the snowman. Oh. He had such a hysterical fit when he melted. He,
4: is oh. there... no, 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 <laughs> no <we're... laughs> And this was only that. last I'm week, people. <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh, I always think yeah. the I don't watch was, that film because the snowman
8: was film because snowman was written know. by
9: Raymond Briggs, wasn't it? Who also wrote that new, uh, film about the nuclear holocaust called When was it? When the wind so blows. When the wind yeah. blows. Yeah. Because in my mind, those one of those films leads directly into the other, so the ending is even sadder. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
7: the snowman is about a ginger kid who finally gets a friend, and then he dies. <laughs>
6: <laughs> <laughs> That's the extra credit scene in Charlie Brown, is it?
5: I think I need to go visit Lucy's little psychiatry booth now. Thank you. <laughs> well, <laughs> yes. Altogether, it's
0: the
2: most wonderful time. Of the- <laughs> oh, Merry God help us. Joshua, any thoughts on the Polar Express? Um, yeah, no, it's, it's what I mean. I always thought I took a real interest in Christmas. I
10: love it. I watch it. Just completely passed me by. I mean, I've vaguely heard of it. I didn't know Tom Hanks was in it. I'd quite like to see it now, but it doesn't grab me the way the Christmas Truce grabs me. <laughs> For example, um, I don't know. It, it it sounds like a nice story, but and and James sells it fantastically. But it it it's, um, it's not it's not it doesn't feel heavy with the others,
2: right? Okay, who should we go to next? Holmes, have you got a present to open?
10: I have,
9: actually. I've got two.
2: Do it. I've
9: got to get up to get one, so I'll do do the getting up to get the one first. They're unwrapped.
2: Everyone will just go back to watching Alina eat. What are you eating?
4: Looks good, whatever Um,
13: it is. Ice cream? I mean ice cream and a small piece of cake. And for anybody who's listening, no, it's not cheesecake and it's not as good as the cheesecake that I usually have. It's about average. What well, what was
2: brilliant was we were what as James was poor James was innocently just doing his thing, you put a massive amount of ice cream on your spoon and you were going to shovel it in and then you realised everyone was watching. So you thought you'd go back and half the amount. But I think Chris was quite excited to watch you like <laughs> literally get your gog around the first version. <laughs> Um, But then you decided to be (laughs) Demure. (coughs) No comment. (laughs) Holmes, what you got for Christmas? Well, this um, this came, it
9: wasn't wrapped up, but it came in a package. It said it's cold and needs to be refrigerated immediately, so I had to open it. Yeah. But it is, it's a selection of cheeses.
6: Ooh.
9: And they all look pretty good. Apart from being honest, there is one there that's got orange and whiskey in it. And as Johnny knows, my hatred of fruit and cheese, that's going straight in the food bin. But the rest of them look pretty good, to be honest. And while I'm uh, eating my cheese, I've got these lovely socks that have got bits of cheese on them. And now I'm rapidly approaching 50. I'm at that age where I don't give a shit what my socks look like, so I'll quite gladly wear those. I'll even wear them out. So thank you to whoever.
2: Excellent very cheesy christmas at Shay home coming right up and johnny's like don't bin anything i'll be round tomorrow no
0: the, the stuff with the fruit in it yeah he's, he's absolutely correct that's that's, that's the, the right course of action straight to the food bin
2: oh right okay where should we go next who should we do
1: next in a sudden flash it all comes clear it's a eureka moment an epiphany hi i'm marcus smith host of the constant wonder podcast The world offers marvel, meaning, and mystery around every single corner. In nature, art, science, culture, history, we talk everything from bees and beetles to obelisks and asteroids. Experience the thrill of transformative encounter. We'll bring more wonder to your day. Listen to Constant Wonder wherever you get your podcasts.
2: Let's go to Dorman.
6: We wish you a Merry Christmas. Right. Um... So, as is tradition, I've taken this very seriously. Um, And since Holmes and Chris have already declared that the Return of the Jedi isn't festive, I'm pretty much screwed. Um, So, Christmas, Hallmark Films, It's a Wonderful Life, Truces, Peace and Goodwill to All Men. This obviously has nothing to do with the Christmas spirit. Um, The true spirit of Christmas is the administrative horror of a census, a pregnancy scandal, a housing crisis and the evils of Airbnb, and at the very end of it, a genocide of babies. Um, (laughs) Now, how are any of the previous stories we've had related to anything listed there, I ask you, apart from maybe James's poor child? Um, So on the first day of Christmas, America gave to me rebellion in the colonies. Um, This is what Christmas is all about the proliferation of Americanism into our lives, surprises, and most importantly, sorry Chris, but murdering Germans. So what I'm going to talk about is the (laughs) Battle of Trenton, in which George Washington led a surprise attack on a Hessian garrison, which was absolutely plastered out of its face on Jim. Uh, This took place across December 25th, 26th, 1776, the American War of Independence had begun rather poorly for the Americans, shockingly enough, uh, the origins of which are probably covered on a History Hack episode somewhere in the catalogue. <laughs> um, basically, they've been kicked out of uh, the area around New York in a series of fairly humiliating defeats. Um the British army had tranced them, and now winter was setting in. Desertion was running rampant, and the Americans, much like Joseph in the nativity, realizing his wife was pregnant after he hadn't gone near her, needed a morale boost. Um, so Washington, who's something of the Grinch in this story, decided to raise the morale of the troops by stealing Christmas. And by stealing Christmas, I do mean murdering Germans in a sneak attack. Um, the closest garrison, uh, was to the Americans was at the town of Trenton and comprised a large number of mercenaries, primarily from Hesse Castle in northern Germany, four regiments worth, give or take. Uh, these men have been drinking since Christmas Day itself. Have been issued extra rations of booze for the occasion, and were really in no fit state for combat. So it's a fair fight. Uh, Washington decided these would be the perfect target uh, for his assault. So using a collection of small boats and apparently a really effective cameraman. Washington crossed the Delaware with a force far larger than his intended target, because in fairness, there's nothing more festive than an unfair fight. Um, His men descended on the town of Trenton and attacked the German mercenaries who were either drunk or brutally hungover. And the Americans arrived much like an aunt who wants to try karaoke for the first time and ruined everything. Uh, The Germans themselves lost 22 killed, 83 wounded, 800 and 900 captured, which is about the same as a Black Friday sale. Um, And the Americans, having stolen Christmas cannons, gold and muskets, retreated across the Delaware to great acclaim. This event embodies the struggle between festive celebration and the true meaning of Christmas, which is having a huge fucking argument. And most importantly, it has been commemorated in a number of luxurious paintings, which, much like your family's Instagram account, is a glamorized portrayal of what was in reality a complete fucking mess. Merry Christmas.
2: I love it. Uh, Holmes.
9: Well, I mean, it, it, it's not the most Christmassy thing to tonight, <laughs> and that's going from me. Um, and also, I mean, one doesn't want to pick holes in it, but it happened on the 26th of December, which in America, it's not even Boxing Day. They all go back to work then, so arguably it's possibly not even Christmassy at all.
6: Yes, but if you consider the time difference, technically, well, I've got no further argument.
4: That still doesn't <laughs> work in your favour, because it would already have been Boxing Day. It's yeah. <laughs> Brilliant.
9: I mean, I mean, it's an interesting one. It's, it's lacking the sort of lessons learned, thinking about other people and not being material, all the other stuff that we've heard so far today, which not to say, you know, doesn't accurately reflect elements of Christmas, but...
6: It doesn't bully someone for being poor.
9: No, no. I mean, wh- why do you think it's better than all the other ones we've heard? German soldiers.
6: Germ- it's got a mention of German soldiers, yeah. Uh, it's military <laughs> history. They actually fight on, like, Lockheed's cowards. I think, they're you know, it's got everything. People do their jobs.
12: Quote peep show, that's not very Christmassy.
6: Yeah, okay, there's no peace to good men, but there's plenty of goodwill. It's goodwill hunting.
2: <laughs> oh, I really like it. Uh, like, obviously as well, uh, yours is the first one to have the proper row in it, right? The Christmas row. Yeah,
0: is, yeah. it, is anyone doing EastEnders Circus at Christmas 1986? Because that, that as far as I can recall, that was just a massive row all the way
2: through. I'm pretty sure isn't every episode of EastEnders just people walking in and out of a room and shouting at each other?
12: <laughs> no, the worst one was that Christmas special where they had to do live acting and they struggled to make themselves throw up. Yeah. Mine part- is
6: still more Christmassy than Mrs. Brown's Boys Christmas special. <laughs>
12: you won't have an
9: argument there. Yeah, I would quite happily watch the Battle of Trenton in real time in all its blood, guts, and glory than sit through Mrs. Brown's Boys. I, right.
2: I think Thorman has previously described Mrs. Brown's Boys as a hate crime. Josh, I are you think sold on this
10: one. I think this is genius. I think this is the spirit of Christmas. I think this is I, in, in lots of different ways. You got the. You got first of all, we've been talking about how you know we've got this sort of british idea of christmas and the americans have taken it and hollywood's taken it and so sort of done this is this is the original the original the americans taking you know taking something british and making it their own and so so you've got that it happens at christmas um it's i i just think it's i i think this is really really clever i like it a lot maybe it's
9: Maybe if George Washington had snuck a small bell into one of the pockets of the original war, it would have given it that extra element of Christmasness. Yeah,
6: I that's think, what woke up the got, Garrison. I
10: think it's got Christmas. I think it's got Christmas all over it. I think this is, um,
2: yeah, i has gone into my top two. Oh. <laughs> that's, a, that's the first time
6: on this podcast I've ever been called a genius.
2: <laughs> yeah, he's like, Josh could come again. <laughs> uh, oh no, we shouldn't be saying that after all the Paul. This podcast. is this uh, is this is so outside. Yeah, that's great. Um... <laughs> right. Okay, let's go to I want to know where Alina's gone with hers because she's used the only remotely heartwarming Polish story in history, which is Wojtek the Bear already. So where is she going now?
13: I'm going to try and mimic Owen. It ain't going to happen. I'm going to give it a good go. Okay. Girls and boys, I hope you are sitting down and uh, warming your fuzzy little Christmas thingies. Thingies. <laughs> yeah. With your little Christmas hats on and your little Christmas jumpers on and cuddling your dog or your cat or whatever friggin' hell you've got at home and I'm going to tell you a story. It was late, one fall, in Halloween land. And the air had quite a chill. Against the moon, a skeleton sat, alone upon a hill. He was tall and thin, with a bat bow tie. Jack Skellington was his name. He was tired and bored in Halloween land. Everything was always the same. I'm sick of the scaring, the terror, the fright. I'm tired of being something that goes bump in the night. I'm bored with leering my horrible glances and my feet hurt from dancing those skeleton dances. I don't like graveyards and I need something new. There must be more to life than just saying boo. Then out from a grave with a curl and a twist came a whimpering whining, spectacle mist. It was a little ghost dog with a faint little bark and a jack-o'-lantern nose that glowed in the dark. It was Jack's dog, Zero, the best friend he had, but Jack hardly noticed, which made Zero sad. All that night and through the next day, Jack wandered and walked, he was filled with dismay. Then deep in the forest, just before night, Jack came upon an amazing sight. Not 20 feet from the spot where he stood were three massive doorways carved in wood. He stood before them completely in awe, his gaze transfixed by one special door. Entranced and excited with a slight sense of worry, Jack opened a door to a white windy flurry. Jack Jack didn't know it, but he'd fallen down in the middle of a place called christmas town immersed in the light jack was no longer haunted he had finally found the feeling he wanted and so that his friends would think him a liar he took the present filled stockings that hung by the fire he took candy and toys that were stacked on the shelves and a picture of santa with all of his elves he took lights and ornaments and the star from the tree and from the Christmas town sign, he took the big letter C. He picked up everything that sparkled or glowed. He even picked up a handful of snow. He grabbed it all without being seen. He took it all back to Halloween. Back in Halloween, a group of Jack's peers stared in amazement at his Christmas souvenirs. For this wondrous vision, none were prepared. Most were excited, though a few were quite scared. For the next few days, while it lightened and thundered, Jack sat alone and obsessively wondered, why is it they get to spread laughter and cheer while we stalk the graveyards spreading panic and fear? Well, I could be Santa and I could spread cheer. Why does he get to do it year after year? Outraged by injustice, Jack thought and he thought, then he got an idea, yes, yes, why not? In Christmas town, Santa was making some toys, even though the din he heard a soft noise. He answered the door, and to his surprise, he saw weird little creatures in strange disguise. They were altogether ugly and rather petite. As they opened their sacks, they yelled, trick or treat. Then a confused Santa was shoved into a sack and taken to Halloween to see Mastermind Jack. In Halloween, everyone gathered once more for they'd never seen a Santa before, and they cautiously gazed at the strange old man, Jack related to Santa, his masterful plan. My dear Mr. Claus, I think it's a crime that you've got to be Santa all of the time, but now I will give presents and I will spread cheer. We're changing places. I'm Santa this year. It is I who will say Merry Christmas to you. So you may lie in a coff- lie in my coffin, creak doors and yell boo. And please, Mr. Claus, don't think ill of my plan, for I'll do the best Santa job that I can. And though Jack and his friends thought they'd do a good job, their idea of Christmas was still quite macabre. They were packed up and ready on Christmas Eve day when Jack hitched his reindeer to his sleek coffin sleigh. But on Christmas Eve, as they're about to begin, a Halloween fog slowly rolled in. Jack said, we can't leave this fog. It's just too thick. There'll be no Christmas and I can't be St. Nick. Then a small glowing light pierced through the fog. What could it be? It was Zero, Jack's dog. Jack said, Zero with your nose so bright. Won't you guide my sleigh tonight? And so to be needed was Zero's great dream, so he joyously flew to the head of the team. As the skeletal sleigh started its ghostly flight, Jack crackled, Merry Christmas to all, and to all good night. T'was the nightmare before Christmas, and all through the house, not a creature was peaceful, not even a mouse. The stockings all hung by the chimney with care, when opened that morning, would cause quite such a scare. The children all nestled so snug in their beds would have nightmares of monsters and skeleton heads. The moon that hung over the new fallen snow cast an eerie pall all over over the city below. And Santa Claus's laughter now sounded like groans and the jingling bells like chattering bones. And what to their wondering eyes should appear but a coffin sleigh with a skeleton deer and a skeletal driver so ugly and sick They knew in a moment this can't be Saint Nick. Okay, I'm going to stop because this is like going to go on forever. (laughs) But my basically my point is is um, Nightmare Before Christmas is one of my favourite films of all time. Okay, yeah, so it's based upon Halloween, but it's got a lot of Christmassy cheer in it. And I know like Beth is going, this is not a Christmas film, but it is a Christmas film. Because you've got like, look, Jack Skellington, he's dressed as Santa Claus. So in theory, it is a Christmas film and it's a joyous film. And I love watching this film on my birthday because obviously my birthday is on Halloween. So obviously, Um, but also watch it at Christmas because it's Christmas. So you get a two for one. I mean, how many of your films can you say got a two for one? Mine got a two for one. So I'm going to argue no, Dorman, no. (laughs) Nightmare Before Christmas. And so why is there a penis in my face? <laughs> Tiny penis of vindication. That's why. So I'm going to argue. No, I don't. No, I won't win. But Nightmare Before Christmas, because it's awesome. That's my that's my argument.
2: And we have uh, lost Josh uh, for grown up reasons. Uh, Beth, you've got your hand raised, which is hilarious in this room. Why have you got your hand raised? Because it's
4: not a Christmas film. It's a Halloween film. It's not. It's a Christmasy. Halloween film. It's a Halloween film. (laughs) And I'm going to say, as the resident (laughs) Christmas Christmas person and Disney person in this house, it's not even that good of a film. (laughs) I watched it for the first time last year and I was thoroughly unimpressed. It came out in
3: 1994.
13: Yeah. It was so did Beth. But it's a... (laughs) <laughs> it's the best. I, it is my, you just destroyed my heart and soul. That is my favourite film of all time. No. It's... And I know all the words and I know every single I like, word. To that
4: I song. like the songs. The songs are great, but I, don't, I didn't enjoy the film. And it's a, it's, a, it's a Halloween film and I don't do Halloween, I do Christmas. It's a Christmas film. It's a, Can I just say, hands up who
8: says this is a Christmas film? Christmas film, 100% a Christmas film.
3: Yeah. Resident Goth,
5: definitely. Against... Yeah, see? I've my never
0: d- seen it, so... My daughter concurs. I, was-
5: <laughs> I tried watching it and got bored after 15 minutes and wandered oh, off. I take Heather. Heather's one of mine. <laughs> I'll my girlfriend. Hang on. Sorry. <laughs> and I Definitely. watched it when I was in my 20s and got bored and wandered off.
13: Same. Same. I he even sings, but I would, but I know one of you is going to say that it's like comic like whatever copyright crap so he does sing though but the dog doesn't like it when he sings i mean
6: you'd
9: only be infringing copyright if it was recognizable
13: it is record should i sing over it (laughs) it won't be
2: recognizable if alina
13: sings it (laughs) exactly but he sings but it is recognizable so holmes um
9: i think alina might be struggling here because um well firstly i didn't realize josh was leaving and then I spent half the time of her pitch emailing him back and forth deciding on what his top three are so I wasn't really listening and um I've not seen it I mean it came out in 1993 apparently not 1994 and that was that was during my first big drinking phase so I wasn't really watching stuff back back in those days so (laughs) given that I wasn't really listening and you were doing quite a long poem Alina what are the Christmas bits can you summarize them briefly
13: so basically, the bottom line is Jack gets bored of being uh, a skeleton Halloween man, and he decides to hijack Christmas from actual Santa Claus. And he goes to Christmas Town. He sees how cool it is. He sings, "What's this? What's this?" Da 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 da. Anyway, awesome song, love it. Um, and he goes to Christmas Town and he takes presents and stuff. And then he basically goes back to Halloween Town, and they do Christmas. They're the new Christmas people. He becomes Santa Claus and he has his own like sleigh and whatnot. And then he kind of basically fucks up Christmas at the end of the day. And then he kind of gives it back to Santa. But my favourite song is Kidnapping Santa Claus because that's kidna- Kidnapping Sandy Claus. Best song this, Does
9: he kidnap him so he takes him back to Halloween land?
13: Yes. So he can yeah. become Santa Claus. Does so
4: that kind like Christmas a very film? Christmassy thing to do?
6: Is there a sequel where Santa's held in like the Halloween camp or whatever?
4: But, See, that actually would be a really good sequel. I'd so
13: watch that.
6: You specifically, might, <laughs> but
13: Small children, not so much. <laughs> mm. <laughs> that clown terrified me as a child. I've got to tell you, it's the only part I still can't watch too as an adult. It's literally just like seconds of it, but it's okay.
2: Okay, any other comments on The Nightmare Before Christmas? It's a Halloween movie.
13: <laughs> Christmas movie. <laughs>
2: You can carry on in the background uh, while I do mine. Uh, Well, I've kind of semi-opened mine already to try and make this go a bit quicker. we have packaging. This looks suspiciously light. Might be alcohol, which means Alex is going to be very happy with Secret Santa. Ooh! (gasps) Hurrah! More Hendrix. For those that don't know, so I've got, ooh, Hendrix Orbium, which is a limited release with Blue Lotus in it. Thank you very much, Secret Santa. I don't think you got this for 15 quid. Uh, but I'm very very grateful I'll put it with the random bottle of the lunar one that turned up at my house and today something else from my wish list turned up at my house as well I don't know who's buying this stuff but thank you whoever sent me the book about the Central Asian revolt in 1916 that was on my wish list um I did wish it uh thanks and thank you Secret Santa as well Right, let me get rid of the package and cradle my bottle of gin while I tell you about the greatest Christmas story ever. It was Christmas Eve. There's no mouse stirring, but what is stirring at Nakatomi Plaza is a rogue NYPD police officer who wages a one-man war against a highly organised terrorist cell as he lays waste to henchmen and an entire building in a rampaging action epic featuring bullets, blood and bombs. Because let's face it, after being... Gagged by fecking Christmas joy and Hallmark and all of that shit for the whole of October, November, and December. I don't want nothing else but violence. Um, Die Hard 100% is, don't shake your head at me more. It is a fucking Christmas film. It takes place during a Christmas party. It has Christmas music in it. The Die Hard soundtrack has in it Winter Wonderland, Let It Snow, Christmas in Hollies and Ode to Joy. They're all on the soundtrack and they're all in the film. There are lots of other reasons why it's a Christmas film. Much like Joseph and Mary, John McLean is a weary traveller, having just landed in L.A. from New York uh, because of his wife, who is festively named Holly. Fight that. Uh, her argument is that he should come out to the coast, we'll get together, have a few laughs. Uh, And without Holly, we wouldn't have had the greatest Christmas film of all time. So he was tired, it snows. Hasn't snowed in LA since 1962, but it snows in Die Hard. Both tales feature a pregnant woman. In fact, I think you'll find Die Hard features too because, and this is the bearing gifts thing, uh, the police officer buys a present for his Pregnant wife, and there's also a pregnant woman being held hostage because McLean's wife is nice to her, so pregnant women teaches you the value of family as well because John has flown all the way to l a to see his family, who presumably ran away from him at some point, but it also it teaches you the value of value of family. When Carl finds out his brother's dead, that immortal moment where he comes out of the lift uh, and there's the jumper with now I have a machine gun, ho, 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 uh, which is one of my favourite moments of the film. Hans Gruber is hands down a better Christmas villain than the Grinch. The Germans are the ones that do Christmas better than anyone and it's got Germans in it. Uh, The film is a perfect reflection of a Christmas party as well. Do you know why? Because there's that one wanker, That nobody likes. Do you remember the guy with the beard, Harry Ellis, who thinks he can convince um, them to hand over detonators or he thinks he can convince McLean to hand over the detonators, but forgets the golden rules of any negotiation, which are don't insult Germans with guns by saying Sprechen Sie Talk. Don't call Hans Gruber Bubby and don't pretend to have personal ties to the cop that all the bad guys are desperately trying to kill. Uh, he does redeem himself a little bit, though, with his final line before getting off is one of the greatest ever. Hans, baby, put away the gun. This is radio, not television. Uh, John McClane comes bearing gifts. That's why it's Christmas Eve as well. Uh, the three wise men may have turned up with gold, frankincense and myrrh for baby Jesus. John McClane turns up with C4 bullets and strangulation by chain. I know Alina would prefer the second lot. Best use of wrapping equipment ever as well when he sellotapes the gun to his back at the end. And stats don't lie, people. Christmas Eve 2016, 1.3 million Americans watched Die Hard. That beats Home Alone, Miracle on 34th Street and The Santa Claus. Yippee-ki-yay, motherfuckers. Best ever Christmas story.
9: I mean, we watched it as a family last Christmas. So there Thank is you. there is that, you know. But I was interested. That
2: Where's the tiny penis of vindication? There it is.
9: But just dropping Christmas music into a film doesn't automatically make it a Christmas film, does it? I mean, if you were, were going to drop Away in a Manger into the soundtrack of Debbie Does Dallas, would that instantly make it a Christmas film?
2: If it was set on Christmas Eve at a Christmas party, yes
6: with a creative title
2: yes
0: can i ask a question as a bar line yeah if die hard is a christmas movie then presumably lethal weapon is as well
2: I, do you know what i've never seen and no one
0: no one ever no one ever talks about lethal weapons christmas movie it's set at christmas it has a lot of christmasy stuff in it the opening credits are to jingle bell rock
2: there was a twitter poll same thing in which 79 percent of people said yes it was a Christmas. And Twitter is always right. We know this. <laughs> you watch something at Christmas, does not make it a Christmas movie? It's set at Christmas. The whole thing is set at a Christmas party just because your pitch sucked because you stupidly listened to me and didn't do the nativity.
6: So if I can sit very much on the fence as a neutral person here, I would argue that Die Hard is as much of a Christmas movie as is Home Alone because the stories are utterly devoid from Christmas. They just happen to be set at Christmas,
2: this is true. I mean that that drug dealing dad who can afford to take all fifteen of his family to Paris on holiday—God knows what he does for a living—he uh, could have taken them on holiday at any time, couldn't he?
6: Right, and the like the abandoning of the kid. Nothing in that film is Christmassy apart from the decorations, and yet it's right. a Christmas classic, apparently. So you can take it one of both ways.
12: Firstly, I mean, I've got two things to say. One. I hope none of you have had to suffer through The New Home Alone that is on <laughs> Disney Plus.
2: The only That's good thing about one, that, right?
12: I don't know. The only good thing about that one is the cameo of uh, Kevin's original brother as a police officer. Um and also every adult I've asked this week, most of them have mentioned Die Hard and most of them have quoted it's not Christmas until um his face gets thrown off of uh, the top and of... And Gruber. Thank you, yeah. Gruber gets thrown off the top of uh, Nakatomi Plaza. A vote
2: for Die Hard is a vote for the awesomeness of Alan Rickman. That's all I'm going to say.
12: I mean, it's,
9: it's, it feels weird and it's a difficult one to judge because I think we're all expecting Christmas things to have certain Christmassy things in, but it's by far and away the best film that's been mentioned
2: tonight. It is. Oh, well, I don't know because Lockie's just brought up Jingle All The Way.
11: Which is absolutely a Christmas movie. It's, it's got a Christmassy title. It's about acquiring a Christmas present. I've, I've also played a drinking game to it at Christmas time, just like I have with Die Hard, by the way. So I'm not, I'm not dismissing Die Hard as a, as a Christmas do
2: movie. You ha- like do you it. have to drink every time he goes, Mr. McLean?
11: Uh, you, I think, yeah, any kind of reference to naming him. Anytime, anytime someone says McLean, it's take a swig. Um, anytime someone dies, you take a shot. Um, I'll have to look them up. Oh, but there's, there's some good ones there. Um, for for the um, uh, jingle all the way. You have to drink every time someone says Turbo Man. They say it all the fricking time. Like every <laughs> ten seconds, someone's saying Turbo Man, and they get these exchanges where you want Turbo Man, he wants a Turbo Man, he wants a Turbo Man, there's a Turbo Man. the drunk.
2: Ah, yep. Can I just ask because we do still have Charlie, but I know Charlie's not doing this one. Um, miracle on 34th Street. What is the miracle
4: that he's Santa? Is that it? <laughs> yeah, but he's the real Santa. Are
9: there are any Germans, isn't it? I don't want to put my technical dull legal head on, but isn't it that they can't prove he isn't the real Santa? Isn't that the uh... <laughs>
2: He
3: he was Santa in the same way as Trump was
2: acquitted. Oh, okay, so that's why no one's argued for it tonight. Death. Hmm? You, you
0: should you should seriously apply pl- apply for Mastermind with Christmas as your specialist subject. <laughs> <laughs> There's nothing you've not known about Christmas and. Uh,
12: but well, I was just I was just I've
4: season. been messaging me and Dorman have been messaging all night and we've been talking about things. So I was like, we've obviously mentioned Alan Rickman twice, but you're forgetting the third Christmas film that Alan Rickman in is in.
9: I Hard three.
4: No, don't <laughs> no. say it. Don't say it. <laughs> <laughs> what
2: is it? Love actually. Oh, and I've no, still
3: forgotten I've not forgiven that bastard. You God.
2: ruined Emma Thompson. <laughs> you ruined Christmas forever. <laughs> uh,
0: shite, actually. Lockheed. Yeah, that's.
2: Sophie uh... says fuck off, actually. Yes. Right, okay. Charlie, what film yeah. have you brought to the party? And have you got a present to open?
3: I, I have. I have a present. I have a present to open. And it's got one of these little pull tabs. So I can do it with a minimum of fuss. I'm just going to sit here cradling. Ooh, ooh, I love
2: you, Santa
3: oh we've got the familiars we've got a a lovely bit of hist fic here thank you nice bit of historical fiction and (laughs) gorgeous this must be a hint from somebody because i've got some irish cream flavoring here so i can make things that taste of irish cream
8: i wonder
3: wonder what would happen if i necked it
8: Uh... (laughs) do it do it now do it
3: okay for the purposes of you guys are just listening to a podcast I totally neck that because I'm awesome <laughs> so yeah no pressure Alex leaving me to last I'm feeling feeling the festive pressure okay
2: it's because I knew you'd do something actually Christmassy and I didn't want to finish with yippee Kaye motherfuckers even though it should
3: I don't be. think I can beat that I don't think I can beat that um but I don't think you can get much better than a story that starts in heaven. The angels are discussing our hero with some concern. It seems that something is deeply wrong with George Bailey. Is he sick? Worse than that, he's discouraged. A junior class angel by the name of Clarence is chosen to intervene on earth, earning his wings if successful in his mission. What follows is the story of George Bailey's life thus far, shared to give Clarence the best chance of saving it. His whole life has been one of sacrifice and service to his family and community, but his spirit is that of an adventurer, He says, I know what I'm going to do tomorrow and the next day and the next year and the year after that. I'm shaking the dust of this crummy little town off my feet and I'm going to see the world, Italy, Greece, the Parthenon, the Colosseum. Then I'm coming back here to go to college and see what they know. And then I'm going to build things. I'm going to build airfields. I'm going to build skyscrapers a hundred stories high and I'm going to build bridges a mile long. But life has other plans. When his father dies suddenly, George gives up his European tour to steady the family business, a building and loan company that finances mortgages for local working people. Then just as everything is settled, an evil businessman called Mr. Potter moves in to close them down, making his bank the sole financial provider in Bedford Falls. Now, it wouldn't be a Christmas story without a Scrooge, would it? Potter is bitter, twisted and miserly. You get the picture. George agrees to run the building and loan at the board's insistence, giving up his college tuition money to his younger brother on the understanding that Harry will take over after he graduates. As it happens, Harry graduates with a wife and a good job offer from his new father-in-law. George doesn't force his brother to honour their arrangement. Now, Harry. George lost his hearing in one ear as a child pulling his younger brother out from beneath the ice of a frozen lake, which all makes Harry seem like a bit of a liability. But it needs saying that Harry didn't presume to take the job he was offered. George told him that the opportunity was too good to pass up. Though George's ear exempts him from active service in World War II, Harry signs up and saves an entire transport ship by shooting down two attacking airplanes. And he's awarded the Congressional Medal of Honor. He's not a bad guy. George is objectively happy, he gets married, buys a tumble down fixer upper of a house, has kids, continues to run his business, but he's frustrated. Just as he had to give up his college tuition money, so he has to give up his honeymoon travel money to prop up a run on the building and loan. He's given up on his dreams to make ends meet, and though he's sunny and well loved in the community, he's a ticking time bomb of personal pressure primed to explode at a moment's notice. That moment comes when his inexplicably cartoon Irish uncle, Billy, I'm sure this is also a hate crime film, loses a day's worth of takings and Mr. Potter calls in the bank inspectors to investigate what's going to look like an $8,000 embezzlement on Christmas Eve. Potter just happens to be there, sitting by the fan, waiting for the shit to hit it. This sends George spiralling. He berates his uncle, which is kind of fair, before asking his wife why they had to have so many kids, shouting at the children. He yells at his daughter's teacher on the phone, storms out to a bar, gets punched by his daughter's teacher's husband, crashes his car into a tree, gets yelled at by the guy who owns the tree, heads out to the town bridge and thinks about throwing himself off it. Now we're back where we first came in. Clarence now knows that the only way to save George is to give him someone to save. Clarence jumps into the river and George jumps in to save him. As they're drying off, Clarence tells George that he is his guardian angel and you can imagine how that goes down. Pressing George about his contemplation of suicide, Clarence grants his wish to have never been born. He now has no worries, no obligations and no responsibilities. What follows is the nightmarish vision of a world with no worries, no obligations and no responsibilities, a world without George Bailey. His brother, Harry died as a child beneath the ice, hundreds of men later dying on the transport ship without him to shoot down their attackers. The town of Bedford Falls belongs to the evil Mr. Potter in the absence of the building alone. It's called Pottersville now. George's friends are all suffering, indebted to Potter for the privilege of living in his slums, the town is all seedy bars. His friend Violet, a fallen woman, his wife. Are you ready? An old maid who works in the library. That does the <laughs> trick.
2: Sounds like every my dream, Heather's dream. Yeah, I know. She wears dream, a hat, Lina's glasses dream.
3: and no makeup. Ah! He has no man. Ah. <laughs> Look, this does the trick for George. He runs back through the town to the bridge once more and prays to get back to his wife and kids, saying, I want to live again. Please, God, let me live again. His prayer answered, he runs home through beautiful old Bedford Falls to his family and the police. They do still kind of need to talk to him about that missing $8,000. But like Clarence said, ridiculous of you to think of killing yourself for money. The town has clubbed together to raise that money for him anyway. It only took them a couple of hours. It's only money. It's a Wonderful Life is a Christmas story that requires its annual telling. Why? Because it's a Dickensian parable about what happens when you don't take time to appreciate what you have and when you don't take the time to do something for yourself once in a while. The feeling I get from the end of this film, other than the feeling of the ugly tears that I'm crying like an idiot, is that George needs to take what he's learned and remember it. He needs to let others come to his rescue every once in a while and enjoy his adventures where they can. Sure, they might not be, you know, he might not be traveling the world, but he's still doing stuff. He wanted to build things. Well, he built a business and a family and he's loved, and it's really not so bad. The festive season is highly loaded emotionally and the pressure to make the experience perfect for other people can get a little bit too much so this is my appeal for whoever does the heavy lifting over Christmas in your house whoever has to come up with a whimsical experience with a sodding elf on a shelf every single day in December take a little time for yourself chill out have a little glass of sherry if that's your thing if not just sit in the tub and watch it's a wonderful life just take a moment to yourself i really think that that's important and i think that's something that we learn from this modern modern version of a dickens it's a wonderful life it's the greatest christmas story thank you
2: well done um holmes what do you make of this one tell me you've seen this one i
9: haven't it's another tricky one for me
2: Charlie's <laughs> <laughs> oh, just disgusted
9: <laughs> I'm basically here for my, for my epic legal training, not my film knowledge. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I mean, it
9: sounds quite good. I'm, you know, I'm not... I, I like the bit about the end, which I think was important. But the thing that you mentioned about, you've got to think about yourself every so often and the pressure on having the perfect Christmas. I agree with all that. I, wasn't, I couldn't tell from what you were saying, as I've not seen it, did he actually take the
3: $8,000? No, no. His Uncle Billy lost it. Oh, uh, OK. Yeah. He was he was paying it into the bank and he, he put it in a newspaper and and Potter sort of comes across the newspaper. So, yeah.
9: I mean, it's it's good to see that the town rallied round and quickly raised that money, as you said, because it, if I went on Colleagues News and Views and said, I've just been accused of theft. Can you all come <laughs> together and give me eight grand? <laughs> I don't think that would happen in this day and age. But
3: well, he'd helped them all. He'd helped them all get their homes. He'd lent them money when they were when they were in need and he, he was, he was that kind of neighbour. He wasn't just some random like, hi, give me money. I'm, yeah, I, need I think,
9: money. I think the thing that's put me off and not that strongly is I, I didn't, I kept thinking, well, I might watch it. And I thought, I don't know if I really want to watch a suicide thing, which obviously, it, you know, Yeah. so there are issues around suicide. <laughs> they're important issues, but I've always thought, it doesn't feel like quite right. Might bring the party down, but I don't know. Is it, you know, Well, he doesn't die. I mean, you know, it's
3: yeah. I mean, it's it's a contemplated, not attempted. um, And it's a it's a very it's a very interesting film. So Frank Capra, you might know, served in World War Two in the film units with um, William Wyler and George Stevens. And they made this fantastic documentary about them called uh, Five Came Back, which is on Netflix. Everyone should watch it. But those three directors in particular came back from the war and they founded Liberty Films because they wanted to make make some films about things that were important to them. And each one of them made, immediately after the war, a project that was really important to them. And this was Frank Capra's. It came out in 1946 and everyone went, it's so sentimental. We don't need this. We just had a war. But it got nominated for five Academy Awards. And with television and annual viewings became just a... It became big after that, and it's, it's now one of those institutions of a movie.
2: And I ask, because it is iconic, uh, even if it doesn't win tonight, it is an iconic Christmas film, and there's loads of people, my mom included, that will will have to watch it every Christmas. Has anyone ever done a remake and thought like, oh, I could do that so much better with some CGI and some colour?
1: <laughs>
2: I, I don't think anyone it's odd. I don't think
3: anyone would touch it with a barge pole. They tried to colourise it. Um yeah. Famously, because, of course, it's a black and white film and, and there are there are still people who won't watch films because they're black and white. And they they had the technology. I think they did it in the 70s or something. They did it really badly and tried to make it colour for no apparent reason. But, uh, no, I don't think anyone's tried to remake it. I don't think anyone would touch it with a barge pole.
2: It's very unlike Hollywood not to try and spin some money out of something that is so successful mm. and iconic. Um, guys... What Christmas films have we missed, do you think? I'm just trying to think. Like, So that's, that's a wrap as far as what we're going to argue for tonight. But what hasn't come up that probably should have?
9: Trading Places. But admittedly, that falls into the same trap as yours, but you know it well, takes place during Christmas. A, but...
2: It's more New Year, isn't it? Because the, oh. the big
5: scene at the end is
2: mm. New Year's Eve. White Christmas.
5: Oh, yeah. Christmas with the cranks. Holiday Inn. Elf, I like, Elf.
11: Elf. Elf. Oh. I like Bad Santa. Bad I love very, bad,
10: uh, Santa. bad Santa. Bad Santa's has Mostly
2: done films, um, apart from uh, Kate, who did A Christmas Carol. But I'm trying to think of more written stories as well. So, obviously, if you've been listening to history over this festive period by now, you would have heard our episode about the other stuff that Charles Dickens wrote. What I really loved about doing that episode, Charlie, was the mm. realization that. Charles Dickens like created Christmas in the 1840s along with Prince Albert and Saul bringing in the German stuff but by 1848 so Christmas Carol is 43 1848 Charles Dickens just has enough he's like no I'm sick of Christmas get it out of my face
3: <laughs> well that idea that he tried to create he tried to create oh. a perfect Christmas for his family and everything because he didn't really have that growing up and
13: would yeah. I get
6: lambasted and bullied and kicked off the podcast if I say I actually kind of enjoy that French World War One Christmas movie?
12: Yeah, it sucks. <laughs> <laughs> Which one's that? Yeah, that's just a. A Joyeux Noel. Uh, oh, that one.
11: Yeah, the one where. Um, oh, what's her face? Comes and they, um, they, they send some guys to.
9: Yeah, that's it. They do some singing, don't they? I. Didn't mind it when I watched it a few years ago. Then, out of curiosity, I watched the DVD extras uh, where the director was talking about it from a history perspective. And he said uh, the Christmas trees couldn't take place in a lot of places because of the minefield that was, was in no man's land. So, at Yes, that he seems point, to have mistaken thought, that for, for the
11: border between North and South Korea, I think. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
6: <laughs>
11: um, although I did, actually, I did actually look at um, uh, the cast list. Uh, and there is someone called Bernard Lecoq uh, who is
10: in it, so uh, I was
9: mildly inter- entertained by that. Oh.
11: It's,
10: also got, it's also
9: got Trevor from East Enders in. The one who pushed Cat Slater out of it, back in the day.
2: Right, <clears throat> let's go round the room. Has everyone who's got a present to open opened their
12: present? I'm Just not... lucky found his, that's the main uh, thing. No, I'm
11: still at a complete loss. We've, we've had a full investigation here and um, we've I uh, appreciated that there was a delivery on that day, but we think we've got everything that was delivered in that delivery, and none of them are our Secret Santa things. So we're, at a, mm. we're at a loss. Need
0: to go and beat some neighbours up.
11: Yeah, yeah that, I, think I think so. Secret
2: Santa needs to go and light a fire under Amazon as to where your present is. Right, let's go round the room. Uh, Heather, what are you wearing on your head? It's like you're channeling Chris. Is that a Russian hat? No, German. No. Oh. Look at them both with their matching journals. <laughs> right, Well, Holmes makes up his mind, let's go around the room and find out what you would have gone for if you couldn't have yours. Uh, let's start with Beth, because we've not heard from her for ages, really, other than a ranting at other people, but go on. Kate,
4: easily, without a shadow of a doubt, Christmas Carol. Dorman? That, that, that was mine. If I hadn't done the nativity, um, that would have been my choice, for sure. Dorman. I'm going to
6: go for the non-fiction of Locke. Lockies.
13: Excellent. Alina? Just because I want to rattle the room, I'm going to say Dorman.
2: Yes. <laughs> Chris?
7: Chris? Uh, mine's difficult because Dorman ticked all the boxes, boats and Germans, then Die Hard came along, and that's awesome. But we do know the rules. Alina's back, so I have to vote for Alina. <laughs> <Yeah!
2: laughs> <laughs> Don't ever change, Chris. Lockie? <laughs>
11: Uh, I think it's a wonderful life, probably, edges it? Of the kind of fiction in the room, I think that
12: was my favourite. James? Um, I mean, originally tradition it was me voting Alina, but no, it's sorry not. I, I actually have to go for Lockie's here because it is a real life story. Yes, there's a lot of myth around it, but that it happened in real life and it wasn't fictionalised for me, that's what makes it a really good one
2: until Platini got involved. Was it Platini or Blatter? One of those arseholes. Platini, yeah. Pattini, yeah. Uh, Charlie?
3: I've, I've got to go for A Christmas Carol because It's a Wonderful Life wouldn't be here without it. So got to go there.
2: Johnny?
0: Um, I, mean, I mean, I love the, Chris, the, the Christmas Truce again, because it has a real life aspect, but but Christmas Carol, I, I, I'd never tire of watching it in, in pretty much any of its form. The Muppets one is... Is genius. It's fucking great. Really That's
8: is. Brilliant. Every time. Kate, I, I think I've got to go for Nightmare Before Christmas because I'm a bit of a closet Goth and I love a bit of Halloween. <laughs> <laughs> so, Halloween and Christmas for me is just the ultimate. It's the best.
2: Excellent. And Heather, that'll be a Christmas Carol bargain. Holmes, have you gone the same way?
8: Um, wow, well, it's kind of
9: tricky in that. Uh, our top two is the same obviously josh wasn't here to hear some of uh, some of the some of the later pitches our top two are the same but we've got them in different orders Our top three our third place is completely different so josh's third place is Dorman's battle of trenton he liked that i think mine or if, even though i haven't seen it based on oh, the pitch it's probably a wonderful life because there's been some films mentioned tonight that i have seen that are utter shit and <laughs> That shouldn't, shouldn't come anywhere into our thinking. I mean, I think if Beth had gone for the proper nativity, she would have won hands down on the basis Stop that none of, <laughs> of these things would have existed without them. So it has to be the, the best Christmas story of all time.
6: So, what you're saying is a complete walk in, like not even a challenge. She needn't have even prepared.
9: Yeah, I think I, so.
4: can, I can reel it off right now. <laughs> I mean,
9: admittedly, <laughs> I didn't, I didn't, oh. you know, I, I, didn't, I didn't have that discussion with Josh, so you know, he might have felt strongly the other way, but right. But I think in the interest of fairness, Josh's second place was the Christmas truce and his first place was the Christmas carol. I had them the other way around. I had Christmas truce first and Christmas carol second. And it's difficult wow. because one, I think has a slightly, the, the Christmas carol has a much bigger influence. But the fact that the Christmas truce actually happened, I think, is also important as well. So I don't and know. And also we could, Josh we could,
2: left. So fuck him.
9: He did say I could choose what I want, actually. So. Um Yeah, I mean, we could we could have two number ones. We could have a tie. Should
8: we, not, in in Which the spirit of a Christmas, in the spirit of Christmas, should we not have a
2: joint winner?
9: I think so, and also I think nobody gives a shit who listens to this anyway. Is it really? <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, I think it's ultimately going to destroy anyone's Christmas. Yeah. Uh, so let's have a tie at the top, Um and oh. Merry Christmas! And yeah. um, should we all do the line of Tiny Tim? Yes. Merry Christmas, everybody out there, if anyone has lasted to the end of this. And one, two, three. God God bless bless us, us
8: everyone. everyone.
1: When our guests join us to talk about their work and their new book, the 45 minutes or so they spend with us is just a taster of all their efforts. So to this end, we have launched our very own bookshop on bookshop.org, where you
11: can find our guests' latest and greatest books. You can support them and you can support History Hack too. 10% of every sale via our bookshop supports the podcast and allows us to keep at it and bring you more amazing guests. You can find our bookshop at bookshop.org forward slash shop forward slash history hack or just search on bookshop.org for us under the shops bit. Thank you for your continued
1: support. And here's to your next great book. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years.